Hey everyone, this is Dan with the Spiritual Underground Podcast, uh, coming to you from the living room. You know, I'm kind of, I'm on. I really am pulled to get back into the wood shop to do these uh, podcasts, but the, my new piece of equipment out there took up the space of my podcast table. So I don't know. Maybe that'll work out. Maybe it won't. So many of them are Zoom today. I want to quickly talk about Twelve Step Spiritual Recovery. 12-Step Spiritual Recovery is a book by James Christopher Cohn. It's the 12 steps for anybody. You don't have to have an ism. Uh, it is open to all. Uh, Bill Wilson believed the 12 steps was sent down here for humans, not necessarily for alcoholics. It was just alcoholics were the ones desperate enough to try these measures. And um, we have meetings here in the Louisville area. If you would like to uh, join one of them on Thursday evenings, we have a meeting at 730 Eastern uh, on Thursdays. That's uh, a Zoom meeting, so you can connect to it from any place in the in the universe, I suppose, that you've got an internet signal. So once again, it's 12 Step Spiritual Recovery by James Christopher Cohn. I want to thank Darren Frank for the music that I wrap around this podcast, the intro and outro music. Uh, thank you, Darren. You're continued to be in my prayers on a daily basis. And, um, you know, this is, if you're just now bouncing upon this uh, podcast, it is primarily 12 Step Recovery. But I do like to explore avenues in which people find their true voices and their true selves. Um, there, it's just, a, if you watch TV and you keep your eye out into that kind of wind today, you would think maybe the world is going to hell in a handbasket and the circles of people that I'm hanging around with, I'm finding is not, that is not the case. There's all kinds of people out helping one another and doing things, actually taking action to help, uh, help other people. And, uh, you know, I think that's just a, it's a falsity that's out there. And that's what we have today is another person that is my um, guest today. Megan is here that uh, she's a coach and she's out to help people find their true voices. Um, you know, my, my definition for recovery is to find in mine. Um, <clears throat> it was given to me is to find that which was lost or stolen. And what happened to me as I grew as I, from a little kid, uh, you know, I was happy, joyous and free as a little kid. There was nothing. My spirit hadn't been stepped on yet. And uh, over time, uh, not, the, you know, when I say the world, it kind of I, I, maybe it's my old history has a biblical uh, connotation when I say the world. But the world does step on our spirits, whether if it's peers or education, uh, perhaps your uh, religious upbringing. And uh, and I lost myself. I, I, I gave some of myself away and I lost myself. And some of it was straight up stolen. And uh, through these 12 steps, I've been able to get in contact with myself again and find out what the real me is. And uh, there's a lot of different avenues for, for doing that. And uh, and I want to hear and carry as many of them as I possibly can. That is the, uh, the mission of this podcast to help people find healing through uh, whatever means that that they need to find it through. So, Megan, how are you doing today? I am well, thank you. How are you? I am doing super fantastic. It's finally starting to warm up a little bit. The sun is shining good out here in Southern Indiana, but it's just not quite as warm as I'd like it to be yet. Uh, yeah, um, it was, I'm in Raleigh, North Carolina. It was um, high of like 58 yesterday, which is cold. Yeah. And um, today I think we're getting up to 65, but it's, it's still cold. Yeah, that would, uh, I've heard that region be called the South. But it's not too much further <laughs> south than here, I don't think. 
I like this um, man through the middle of the United States around here where we get a lot of every season. Uh, I still, yeah. I still like that. And, uh, but, but by now we've had a couple of warm patches and it starts messing with my internal thermostat, you know, and mm-hmm. when, when, uh, you know, if it got up to 60, I'd have short pants on. And then a couple of days later, 60, I'm freezing. Yep. That's how I feel. Like, um, I was complaining actually yesterday to a friend who lives in Maine and I asked him, I'm like, it's 58 here. When's the last time you guys, you know, even saw 58? Well, it turns out the whole East coast is about the same temperature or close to, cause he was at like 54 up in, he's up in Bangor. So he's wow. pretty high up there, but yeah, I moved, I moved South cause I like the warm weather and I find myself, find myself craving even warmer. Yeah. Where were you born at? Where did you grow up? I grew up outside of Philadelphia. Okay. A little north then. Yeah. Um, and then I spent 16 years in uh, in Washington, D.C. So how was your uh, we were talking at the beginning of the podcast, some of this stuff we know we've carried from childhood. Yeah. How was your childhood? You know, that's an interesting question. Um, if you would ask me five years ago, five years ago, I would have said I had a great childhood. I had the best childhood ever. Mm. Um sitting here today, I look back and I'm very grateful for my childhood for giving me the life that I now have for teaching me lessons that I needed to learn. Um, because my childhood wasn't as great as I thought it was. Hmm. Um, we kind of, uh, I know that I can look back at my past and there's some of some kind of like veil, uh, that that as as I become clearer about who I am today, uh, that past is becoming more clear to me too. Uh, yeah. That uh, yeah. You know, and and one of the things that we do around my neighborhood is we talk about you know I'm, I got to be real clear that when I'm when I'm when I'm exploring my past, I am not blaming anybody. Uh, yeah. I am just yes. I am talking about how the impact <clears throat> the impact it had on me. And in order to uh, to get in touch with who I am, sometimes I have to go look back there with a different set of eyes. That's one of the things about 12 step recovery and a sponsor or a coach in your world, somebody to mm-hmm. gives you a different perspective on something because we can really tunnel vision out on uh, on on a particular aspect of our lives and really not see a, maybe what was on the perimeter of that particular uh, event. Yeah, I, you know, I do feel like it is a fine line to walk. Um it's something that I'm cognizant about too, because it's not that I blame my parents. Um, I believe they did the best they could. Um, you know, maybe at different points in time, I did blame them, but to the point where I, I don't blame them because I can look further back. I can look at my grandparents and I can see what they went through. Yeah. Um, I can see this lineage of, of trauma that's come through my family. I can see how, what my mom did, she did exactly what she knew. And you can't blame anybody for doing what they know, you know, like, yep. This thing, this thing called life doesn't come with a manual. Really. It doesn't come with a manual. It does not. And there's some out there, but we don't seem to, uh, uh, you know, I've rejected any manual that might tell me how to do things. Yeah. Yeah. Now to more spiritual, uh, like, uh, ancient spiritual teachings 
that now I see I'm open to it today and now I can hear the message. But for most of my life, I couldn't, I couldn't hear the message. And yeah. I also uh, had a lot of blocks in the spiritual realm because of, uh, you know, hearing messages like uh, <clears throat> that it's my way or the highway kind of messages. And I'm not sure yes. that's what they were actually teaching me. I'm not, I'm not going to throw it at them, but that's what I heard. And yeah, I couldn't make sense that if your way is the only way and you're standing over here and your way is the only way and these folks over here say yeah. way is the only way all that can't compute, you know, that can't add up. And uh, and, 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 it, and it caused me to reject most uh, spiritual teachings when I was younger. I, I actually I'm 100 percent right there with you, because um, I remember having this conversation when I was pretty little, like, well, what about those people out there that? can't you know i grew up i was i would say that i was raised in a christian household but i didn't accept it and um my major point was like what about those people out there that you know haven't seen christianity how are they going to hell too if if they don't even know about it you know and it just it never made sense to me um it it never made sense and i think there was also this aspect of my mom telling me that this is what I had to believe and me going, but I don't believe this, mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't believe that, you know, if I don't believe this, that I'm a bad person, like I know I'm a good person and I can be a good person and choose not to believe this. Um, yeah, it is, uh, as I was saying in the intro, this, uh, stuff that steps on our spirit, one of our exercises that we do in 12 step spiritual recovery is if you can do it, you go back and find a picture of yourself when you were a little kid. Yeah. Smiling, happy. One of those yeah. where you truly are that not a care in the world, you know, and, uh, and we're aiming back to get to that, you know, uh, it won't be exactly the same because you do have, we grow up with adult responsibilities, but I'm aiming for that. I'm also going back and looking at what stepped on that kid's spirit and, uh, and church and spiritual teachings definitely stepped on my yeah. spirit. Well, if it, I don't think they were out to hurt me. Uh, that was not their intent, mm -mm. Uh, but that's what, that's what, that's what happened. And probably the biggest one I can pinpoint is my peer groups and faulty teachings that I got through kids who uh, I hung around with, you know, mm. uh, took for granted that these other kids knew what they were talking about. And uh, plus the ones that look, the, frankly, the truth of the matter was the ones that were messing around with substances looked like they were having more fun than the ones that weren't and fun looked like fun. And, uh, and it yeah. ended up taking me down a road that, uh, that, that, I, you know, we said it was a boomerang that came back and hit me, hit me later on in life. Uh, I certainly didn't intend for that to happen, but there's a lot of things that, uh, that step on our spirits and, and over, over the years. And then uh, I don't know, I'm kind of convinced now that that is just what life is. Buddha says life is suffering. It's mm -hmm. one of the noble eight normal, no, noble truths. And more and more, um, it seems to be that, you know, I'm going to be born free. I'm going to have my spirit stepped on uh, through yeah. adolescence and all that. And then at some point when I become an adult, it's my job to dig out from underneath all that <clears throat> and yeah. rediscover who I really am. And then that yeah. won't stop. There's no end to that. That because my, my spiritual development uh, continues to evolve daily. Yeah. It's, it's interesting you say that because um we, we now live in a world that's evolving. I feel like, I feel like 
there's more knowledge out there than ever before. I feel like we really are in, in this phase where people are um, changing and growing that I don't think it used to be there. Um, you know, even from something simple like going to therapy, um, it's commonplace these days to go to therapy, mm -hmm. right? And I think with the younger generations too, it's getting more and more common. Um, you know, 40 years ago, you didn't go to therapy. Like you, you, it's not what you did. Like you had to be crazy to go to therapy. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I do think that we are at least seeing a shift in it. You know, we're at least talking about mental health issues. Um, but no, I agree with what you said. Like when you're born, you're born free. And, you know, it comes back to your parents because your parents are going to raise you the best they know how. Um, but with what a little kid needs, there is no parent out there that can always be able to provide 100% to a kid. Like right. it's not possible. Yeah. It's just, there it's are no perfect possible. parents. No, I mean, and from that sense, like being a kid, you can't always articulate what you need either. Right. right. You don't have that maturity to be yeah. able to articulate your needs to say, no, this is what I need. I don't need this. I need this. And that becomes um, a habit that I carried into adulthood too, where I, yeah. at some point I could not, I, even as an adult with the capability to articulate stuff, I still couldn't do it. I, I couldn't yeah. tell, I couldn't tell you what I needed. Uh, yeah. And I still, you know, I mean, that's one of the things I think that's just, a, I still struggle with that at times. I'm a lot better than I used to be, but uh, you know, my parents, <clears throat> I really can't, I, I couldn't ask for anything more from my parents. I had, you know, there's, saying it says something to the effect of uh i had everything i needed and most of what i wanted uh i wasn't like silver spooned either though so i wasn't yeah. like had it had it all there was no was a uh was a answer in a lot of times when i wanted things you know yeah um and i still have a really really good relationship with my father he lives with me today Oh, nice. um, yeah. And, uh, and, and we, we, we have a really, really, we've had a good relationship and he's one of these people that seems to know the right thing to do all the time too. Mm -hmm. uh, time after time, I've watched him demonstrate these uh, uh, reactions, responses to life's uh, bumps and bruises in a healthy way. Uh, and, and I didn't seem to be able to do that, even though I had him modeling how to do it. You know? mm. I reacted to uh, the bumps and bruises of life in unhealthy ways. Mm -hmm. So even though I had a great teacher, I still, for whatever reason, uh, uh, was unable to, to follow it through a certain period of my life. Well, it's interesting too, right? Because you, we typically have two teachers. Um, we have a mother and a father. Yep. And um, for me, actually, I didn't have a father for the first three years of my life. Mm. Um, my mom was a single mom when she got pregnant with me and well i was you know the first but um my mom was not married the relationship she had with my biological father was according to her very kind of hot cold love hate mm. off on um and i was two when my mom met my dad who ultimately adopted me i was two and a half when they married and then i was three when he adopted me mm. but um, I live with my grandparents and, um, my mom was working full time. So who knows in all of that, you know, like I definitely didn't have a father for the first couple years of my life. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we don't really know what the impact of that is because there's no way mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day about potential ways that like, oh, seems a lot of people have abandonment issues. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and you know, uh, I believe that you could have developed abandonment issues before you were conscious enough to remember. 100%. That, you know, if you laid yeah. in bed and cried and cried and cried and cried and nobody came to help you. Yeah. Uh, and you may not be able to have any, you don't have any, yeah. no amount of therapy or anything is going to make you remember <laughs> uh, that event. So some of that stuff yeah. is not, we're not, we're not going to be able to grasp it. Uh, some things we can grasp, you know, know when certain events happen in our lives and how, you know, I know that uh, a few things in my life caused me to uh, act in the ways that I did. And, you know, and I, and I was ashamed of it. Uh, I had a, I had a relationship uh, with a little boy when I was in single digits, you know, five, six, seven type of neighborhood. And uh, man, when I, when one of my peers, when I heard that that was wrong, because <laughs> I didn't know it was wrong, you know, and it was mm. experimentation. And I won't use it that it was like, you know, it could be looked at as a homosexual thing, but it wasn't because it that was that that wasn't even in, in there yet. Now, this other guy grew to be he is a homosexual male. I am mm. not. Uh, yeah. But once I heard that was wrong, uh, how that impacted me on yeah. from that point forward of uh, of of finding out, you know, that nobody's going to find out that I did that. You know, uh, I am wow. not telling anybody I am going to and then I act out in other ways to compensate for it. And so my point there is, is that, you know, there are certain things that I can come back and pinpoint and um, and like uh, process and move mm-hmm. move forward past but there are some things that that i'm gonna have to be okay with that that i don't know the answer yeah yeah for sure you know it's interesting you say that um my entire life i've had problems sleeping and um it's something that i'm working very consciously on now moving my sleep schedule up and um i'm actually doing some other things to assist with it like mindset wise But I've been going back to when I was really little. I know that my grandfather used to wake me up at real early hours. Um, And I feel like my sleeping problems almost probably started from that, right? Hmm. Um, I don't know, but it's actually something that's been in my mind uh, the past, I don't know, maybe week or so. Wow. Just kind of tossing that around and and wondering how that does relate to all of this. Yeah, um, we definitely get trained. You know, I mean, no different than you train a puppy to bark at the back door to yeah. be let out or yeah. to a cat to use a litter box or anything else like that. Uh, we kind of I want to hold myself above that, right? Because I'm the highest level of primate. I don't want to really accept the fact that I've been trained. And, uh, you know, but with, with a lot of things that just flat out, I, the, they weren't, they're not working for me and, and untraining myself, uh, is, is not easy. No, <laughs> it takes a lot of time to, to change habits and to change mindset. Yeah, uh, it does. It's a, it's a long-term, uh, uh deal it's uh, we again you you hear this a lot too you know we are we want quick fixes right we want microwave Mm -hmm. ovens and bic lighters and uh, and we want prescription drugs and prescription pills to fix me cures when we go to the doctor yeah yep yep and uh that doesn't seem that seems to be a fantasy that's uh i agree 
takes time and uh i can't do it one other thing is i can't do it by myself i i, I don't know if it's a I guess it's again, you know, it's just a human condition thing to where I feel like if I just tried harder that I could get mm-hmm. there, but that never mm-hmm. did work for me. You know, there's mm-hmm. this other aspect of like letting go seems to be what gives me more mm-hmm. uh, traction than mm-hmm. trying harder. And, uh, <clears throat> and I have to have this safe place to do that too. I got to have a safe place to speak about things and to right. share uh and then you know safe or oh, you know the in 12-step recovery that the the it's a sacred relationship between you and your sponsor and the fact that i there's a line in the big book that says you have to be you have to be completely honest with someone if you're going to live to if you're going to live long and happily mm-hmm. and, uh, it's kind of a little bit like how people will talk about uh the bible being a uh living document where it means more to you over time uh that 12-step yeah. book Alcoholics Anonymous means more and more to me over time. And I realize the value today of having that somebody that I can tell anything to. I, yeah. I am free of judgment from that man. Uh, and we can share stuff back and forth like that, too. I will go to his house tonight. At, uh, we have a standing Sunday night date. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll go hang around over at his house and watch The Walking Dead and mm-hmm. uh, and and talk uh, and just continue to build our relationship, you know, and uh I need somebody in my life to do that. And, and not everybody has a 12 set sponsor, you know, yeah. and there's see people, uh, I know, uh, I see this, uh, coaching thing and that's what you do, right? Yeah. That's what I do. Uh, feels that same yeah, it mechanism does. in somebody's life. It does. I definitely have clients that have, um, that participate either in CODA or AA and don't have sponsors and they've come to me, um, to be able to, to, I guess, find the help. Um, when you say that you need that one person to be able to be completely honest with, that really, really, really resonates with me. Um, because oftentimes I think we're not honest with ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like an accountability thing, you know, that when somebody's standing there and, and be, they're willing to be vulnerable with you, um, it makes it easier for you to be vulnerable with them. Yep, we have uh, that piece in our work that's a fifth step, which is the uh, admitting to somebody else. It's kind of like a confessional thing in a way. Yeah. Uh, you build that relationship with the person, and you actually sit down and consummate it with this. Uh, get all your skeletons out of the closet and talk about them. Mm-hmm. And it's scary for most of us, you know, but it builds that relationship with that person. Yeah. So that opens it up for, you know, that particular event is, is a magical piece. And I've been blessed to have a, I call it exchanging fist steps. We, we sit down and talk about uh, our dirt together mm-hmm. and, uh, but that's just opening the door for the rest of the relationship. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, one of the things about therapy and, and I'm i I'm pro therapy for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we keep our, we keep our hand hidden so long. That is my experience. And what I've seen is it takes so long for people to get their to be comfortable with like opening their hands and showing their cards. Uh, right. And then, you know, if you're seeing somebody once a week or whatever, uh, I don't really know, you know, that's a lot of time before you can actually build that relationship with somebody where you can actually be honest with them. Um, Well, and it's interesting too, right? Because as a therapist, their role is 
not to disclose anything about themselves or to disclose as little as possible. Yeah. And I think that does make it harder to build that relationship. Um, yeah. It's one way then, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, it's one way. It's one way I remember. Um, now I will say that therapy has been the turning force in my life. Um, I think my therapist is a little different than many because she's also a life coach. So sometimes she'll pull different cards on me when, you know, I need different things, but I remember one of my very first sessions being like, this is weird. Like I'm sitting here and normally I'm reflecting the conversation back to you, right? I'm listening to what you're saying and I'm reflecting back to you. So if you're asking me how my day was, I'm going to turn and ask you how yours was like, and that's just how I, I naturally am. Um, and I remember having this conversation, like, I just have to sit here and like talk about myself, right? I can't deflect or reflect onto you. Um, it's, this is focused on me and this feels weird. Like this feels uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I eventually did. I did get to a place um, where I was able to trust her. I think when I started therapy, so much was wrong in my life. I was so miserable, so unhappy. Um that I needed somebody who was unbiased to be able to just listen to me. And I think I realized that she was asking me questions um, that I would then go take and I would think about. And in that thinking process, I realized how much was happening, how much change in me was happening. And I liked it. Um, So I got over the not be able to have that, you know, relationship. Um, I mean, she and I have talked, like, I'm a big music fan. Um, I love the Grateful Dead. And so she's never been to a show, but she's got a lot of friends who are um, in that scene, so to speak. And she's like, you know, Megan, if I ever see you at a show, I have to present, pretend I don't know you, you know? And that to me was just like, like okay. You know, if this, this if this is what it takes, I'm willing to do it because I'm seeing the benefit. Yeah, yeah. Um, do Those I think boundaries feel weird to me? Yeah. Like, uh, why do I have to pretend something? You know, uh, I've pretended all my life. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm kind of beyond that, and we can't pretend that we. You know, I can't. I can't. I don't know. That didn't. That didn't land well with me. Well. Uh, you said a key word too, boundaries, right? I mean, when you grow up in a household with no boundaries, like I did, boundaries feel weird. Yeah. You know, it's another, so, uh, it's another uh, new word in my life that, uh, you know, like vulnerability and, and, uh, and boundaries. And, yeah. Um, comes into that, you know, one of the things that seems that you, you said about CODA, and uh, one of the things that I notice is it seems like mo- most of us have some level of codependency. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's a it's an underlying force in in everybody. Uh, it's something I you know have worked worked on in my you know to be okay with me to not yeah. need somebody. You know, um, I had a good chunk of my self worth once was wrapped up on whether if I had our woman on my arm or not. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, and and when I didn't, that was a consuming thought. You know, where am I going to go to meet the next one? Who? Where am I? Yeah. 
you know, and it, it was just all consuming. And today that, uh, uh, you know, that's not a problem anymore. I don't, I'm, I'm I actually the level of freedom I have today. I was married for, I was with the same gal for 25 years and, uh, we got divorced over my alcoholism mm-hmm. and, uh, it was right about the same time my world crushed down on me and I ended up getting caught, uh, uh, stealing pain pills from somebody. And, uh, so I was looking at jail time and I had just gotten divorced and I had a whole bunch of debt on my shoulders and, uh, was losing my job. And, you know, the whole, whole house of cards was collapsing. Yeah. Um, but for a while I was like ready to jump out of the frying pan into the stove, you know, that, however that goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I was looking to jump into the next, you know, that I, yeah. that I needed, I was addicted to a relationship and thought I needed that in order to be happy. Yeah. Uh, till I could actually find, you know, find myself. And, and I went on a moratorium for a while. You know, I said, OK, yeah. I am not going to pay any attention to any females. <laughs> yep. In that way, in that way, uh, for the foreseeable future. And, yeah. and, and, you know, I'd have to tell myself just almost like whenever I'm around someplace where somebody's drinking, you know, that's not mine. <laughs> that drinking, mm-hmm. I don't drink uh same thing hey you're not you're not looking for a relationship right now you're not stop mm-hmm. don't and uh and it was one of the best things i ever did for myself was to uh apply you know underneath the underneath the 12 step stuff usually it's an abstinence of whatever it is that's got you mm-hmm. and um yep. and, and that's what i was practicing there without even really knowing what i was yeah. doing I uh, was uh, taking a period of abstinence from my substance or my behavior, yeah. and uh, it's really hard at first. And but but over time, you can build that muscle and, yeah. and not struggle with it anymore. Yeah. So it, what ended it, up getting you into this uh, line of work where you're coaching, and how did you end up? How did I end up here? Um, Well, it's interesting. I've been a coach most of my life. Um, I used to coach springboard diving. Hmm. Um, I started coaching that when I was in high school. And then I spent a couple of years while I was in graduate school coaching springboard diving. Um, I also used to coach education. I was an educational coach. Uh, I worked with high school kids all the time. Um, You know, we might work academic stuff. We might work study skills. But just how do you become more successful? How how can you, you know, fit in um, and just become successful? A lot of the kids I worked with had learning disabilities, had, you know, they were ADD. And so they were um, not your, I guess, traditional, traditional, loosely quoted student. And um, yeah, I did that for, God, over 20 years. And so what ended up my defining moment was the moment I woke up, um, I realized I had feelings for a man who wasn't my husband. And in that same moment, I knew I need a divorce from my husband. Like I, I'm so unhappy. I don't like me. I don't like my life. I don't like him. It just was like this flood of emotions coming over me, Mm. feeling an emotion I hadn't felt in many, many, many years. Um, And so at that point, it was like, okay, well, I want a divorce. What's next? At that point, I was financially dependent on him. Um, 
I didn't know who I was without him. I mean, I didn't like him, but I didn't know who I was without him. Um, it took me, took me, I don't know, five months before I started therapy. And, um, you know, those five months were filled with a lot of like trying to figure myself out and I, I couldn't, right. I couldn't do it on my own. Yeah. And especially, you know, you are the people you surround yourself with. Um, and so the people surrounding me didn't know any better either. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it took starting therapy. And when I started therapy, I remember, you know, my therapist said, why are you here? And I said, well, if I could just get my husband to do what I tell him, yeah. I don't need a divorce. If I could just get him to do what I tell him. And I quickly learned that I'll never get him to do what I tell him. Never. Yeah. One um, question was, were you telling him or were you just needing him to do what you needed him to do without telling him? Well, it was more like, you know, I think the big thing that is often common in marriages is dishes, right? One partner does the dishes. The other one doesn't. Makes them. <laughs> Makes them. Yes. And, um, you know, it's funny because I look back and my role in my life has always been to clean. Um, I look back as a little kid. I always cleaned that house, my parents' mm. house growing up. I was the one that held that glue together. Um, mm. You know, I went away to college and I come home and the kitchen table is full with stuff. Like the first time I'd ever seen something like that in my life. But yet I wasn't there to have been cleaning that house. Mm. Um, when I met my ex-husband, I did his dishes for several days straight. That's how many dishes he had. That felt completely normal. It was yeah. not a red flag, not a red flag. Um, so then when I look back and I'm like, if you know, why can't he just put his dishes in the sink, you know, put them in the kitchen, like that at least helps me out, you know? And I look back and I realize I was unreasonable to even have asked him that knowing that we kind of set this precedent that I do the dishes very early on. Um, but the dishes were one of my huge complaints. Yeah. And you, um, volunteer, you volunteered to do them. Yeah, they, I, I volunteered to a, do them. Yeah, then they become a resentment uh, that I have to do it. And it's interesting that the things we will do uh, as we enter in new relationships yeah. uh, in order to like, well, frankly, to be liked, right? Yeah, exactly. Like me. So I will do this. And then when I then I realize, oh, hell, I don't like doing this anymore. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> how do I, how do I stop? I see so many people in unhappy relationships that, yeah, uh, so many. um, I gotta be real careful about this, but I will just say it. Uh, I don't see anybody in a relationship around me that I, that I go, I would like to have that. Really? Yeah. Nowhere. Yeah. You know? And, uh, and it just doesn't, you know, it just does not look enticing to me. I would rather just hang out with me. And yeah. uh, right now, uh, maybe it's, you know, after 25 years of being married, I kind of feel like I checked that box. I had two kids that are both, they're 16 and 18 now, you know, they're getting, yeah. they're growing up. And, uh, <clears throat> but, you know, the, we, we, we volunteer for these positions in our lives 
Mm-hmm. You know, we sign up for it and then we find that we're not happy in that situation. Yeah. And we won't unvolunteer ourselves out of it. You know, no. that's the Mm-mm. thing we want. We want these other people to change. We want circumstances to change so that I can be okay. Yeah. Which just doesn't seem to happen too often. You know, that uh, we've been told all our lives we can't change other people. And, uh, you know, that's just, that's age old wisdom in, in a nutshell, but it doesn't stop us from trying. But we're told we can't change other people, but yet I feel like I was told that like, when you're in a relationship, you do everything possible for the other person. Mm. I feel like that's the message I got. And so to me going, well, I'm doing everything possible for my husband. Why can't he do the same for me? When I finally realized that he was doing everything possible, his everything possible just looked different than what I needed. Yeah right? His doing everything possible was putting all of his energy into his work, you know, was getting up and going to work and coming home. And, you know, he'd come home and like, there'd be nights where he wouldn't speak to me. He just wouldn't say a word to me. He'd go right to bed. Hmm. Might wake up at 10 o'clock. Maybe he wouldn't. Um, But for me to be asking him to do the dishes, right? That was my need, those dishes done. He could care less if the dishes were done. Um, so for me to be asking that of him, it wasn't his need. It felt like I was burdening him, Yeah. you know? Um, but what he felt he needed to bring the relationship was making the money. And so that is a typical male thing, right? It is from again, from the beginning of time and the men went out, killed the dinosaurs mm-hmm. and drug yep. in the meat you know and uh and i can see how that still ends up being um a thing in my life where i felt that that was my job yeah you know and as long as i was doing that nobody had anything to complain about right I'm yeah work. he felt that he needed to protect me and so by putting his foot down and saying don't do that you can't do that like i don't think he was trying to be controlling i think he was trying to protect me because that's what he felt his role was. That's what he felt he contributed to the relationship. Yeah. And it's so interesting how we do these things without having conversations about them, right? We don't know we're doing these things. So if we don't know we're doing them. We can't even have a conversation about it Yeah. because it's not something that's very conscious. It's subconscious. Yeah. I think that's another thing uh, where in therapy with couples, uh, uh, I, I, I batted away. Uh, my alcoholism did that more so than anything else because I didn't want that to get uncovered, right? Yeah. I was, a, I was a, a closet alcoholic. Um, and I think deep inside, I knew that that was the problem. Yeah. But I know that it would have been my wife begged for me to go to therapy to try and talk about this stuff so that it just doesn't seem very fruitful for most couples to sit and talk on their own, you know, mm-hmm. they don't go anywhere. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere, but with a, like a referee kind of thing, you know, a coach, yeah. a therapist, somebody in there to, to kind of moderate it. Uh, it's probably, you know, uh, in my mind, something that, that needs that actually that's a component probably of a good marriage is to be in therapy. Yeah. Or, you know, at least be able to be communicative and have those open lines of communication and be unafraid to tell the other person something or everything, anything, you know, 
Um, I had I, no idea I, how to do that. I didn't yeah. either. And it's something that I always thought I wanted, but yet I was married. And then all of a sudden I'm not talking to my husband. Like he might be in the same room and we're on our phones with the TV on and we're not it's almost talking. like we put as many distractions as possible in yeah. the way so that we don't have to talk, right? Yeah. Uh, it was interesting because when he and I started couples therapy, we made it exactly two sessions. And mm-hmm. it took me quite a while to convince him to even go. And that second session, so it's interesting, right? Because dishes were our issue. Um, but the the counselor turned to us and she said, okay, let's talk about a common issue, dishes. You know, I want to hear what both sides of you think about the dishes and then what you each are doing to compromise. And so I went into it and, I, you know, my parents are hoarders. I'm afraid I'm going to become a hoarder. I'm asking for his contribution. I'm not getting it. I have to be okay with the fact that my house is messy. You know, it's got dishes everywhere. It's got clothes everywhere. It's, you know, comes home, he drops his jacket on the floor, like, you know, um, like that's where I've got to be okay with. Well, she turns to him and he goes, I'll never forget this. He goes, change. What is change? Because why you, when you first start changing, when do you ever stop changing? So why do you even start to change? Mm. And then he goes, I want a divorce. So he had decided that he was not changing anything about him at all for the relationship. Yeah, well, um, that's a that's a, a dead zone for sure. Because if you're not willing to uh, compromise, uh, mm-hmm. we're not going anywhere. Nope. Uh, Relationships will not happen if you don't compromise. Yeah, some of that I know today. Like, uh, I recognize that level of compromise that would be required of me, mm-hmm. and, I, and I choose to not do it. I choose yeah. to not go down that path. Uh, I would like to have uh, uh, somebody to go out to eat with or go see a movie or do stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, but what I've seen, what I've seen, what my perception of things is, is that if that's going to happen, then there needs to be a progression in the relationship. Mm -hmm. And and I'm not looking for a progression. Uh, And so what I just end up doing them and I also don't want to hurt anybody. You know, I tried that a couple of times and and they, uh, uh, they may be listening to this, but uh, they got more. They it appeared to me that they wanted those relationships to progress, and I did not. And it ends up hurting mm-hmm. one or the two people. So it feels like today my best bet is just don't go there because that way I'm not hurting anybody. You know, I think that's a really interesting point because I think we're taught that we don't want to hurt people um, because ultimately, if we hurt people, it hurts us. Um. I think there's something really powerful in acknowledging that you can't please everybody all the time. And that if you're able to be open and honest about it, um, that you're doing your best, you know, um, I don't know. You know, I, I, I sponsor a lot of people in 12 steps. So I have this wonderful fellowship of dudes around me. 
you know, and I'm close to them. And next month I'm going to have a men's retreat and 20 of them are going to mm-hmm. come out to my place in the country and we're going to have a weekend long getaway and work. Mm-hmm. We're going to work on things. We're not just going to be playing the whole time. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's where I'm finding my fulfillment at today, you know? Yeah. Um, and frankly, between my, you know, doing my things to keep the lights on around here uh, and, and my participation in my recovery, there's really not a lot of extra time yeah. left. And yeah, so, that's the thing. Relationships do take time and they take concerted effort. Um, for sure. For sure. I dated a guy um, last year and it was a very, very slow progression. We were friends first. Um, well, we saw each other around first and then we became friends and we became very slow friends. Um And then at which point in time we decided that it was time to try something else, you know, to take it to the next level. Mm. And, um, we had, we had a lot of fun. I learned a lot. I grew so much. Um, I've never been able to be in a relationship where I could be completely vulnerable, um, where I was fully accepted for who I was, um, where I felt continually seen and heard. And I mean, the one thing he and I had was our communication. Um, and it was a different type of relationship. We went into it knowing it wasn't going to last forever. Hmm. We knew that. Yeah. Um, and we were okay with it. I think sometimes, you know, that's also another thing of, um, as we was talking a little bit in the beginning, you know, I had some thought in my head that I was supposed to grow up uh, go to high school, finish high school, go to college and get a job and work for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also been taught and it was modeled by my parents too. My parents stayed married their entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom died in 2016. If they'd have made it another year, they'd have made, been married 50 years. Mm-hmm. So I was modeled this, this deal where you get married and you yeah. stay, you know, and one of the things about when my marriage failed, I took that on pretty hard about a failure that I failed. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and there's, you know, I wonder today, cause it hasn't been that long that humans have really been uh, coupling for long durations. Yeah. That's only been going on for a hundred years yeah. or something, you know? Yeah. Uh, first one thing was, is that, you know, the, the women surviving childbirth was not yep. really good for a long time. So a guy yep. wasn't going to be with somebody for a real long time because there yeah. was no birth control and there was, uh, yeah, exactly. You know, and, and a lot of women died. A lot of women died in childbirth, so there weren't going to be long-term relationships. And now, you know, seems to be there's some kind of, uh, that's like the goal, that's the goal held up at some level that, you know, we should get with somebody and stay forever, where to some extent, I believe maybe that maybe these things are just seasons, just like the seasons Uh, pass through. I agree. And I'm going to be with somebody and we're going to have some fun for a season. And the challenge is how not to end up having that go to shit, you know, to to end up being where, uh, you know, it's, it's hurting people and, and, uh, causing pain. But I think that if you look at it from the perspective of, I'm going to take this for what this is, and I'm going to try to be as present as possible, and I'm going to enjoy it and have fun and grow and learn. Um, I don't know. There's something really powerful in that. Um, 
Milo grew a lot in my last relationship and it kind of went that way. You know, it was, yeah. it started slowly and, uh, and, but it did get to a point where it was, uh, uh, more was being asked of me than I could give. Yeah. And I know for myself, um, when we broke up, I knew that I should have been keeping better boundaries. And I mean, I, I was witnessing things, but I wasn't at that time taking time for me to go inwards and really reflect. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I knew that I should have been better with boundaries. Um, I was waiting. I was essentially waiting for something to happen in his life to have those boundaries be kept better. Hmm. And I shouldn't have done that. I should have, you know, put boundaries into place. Like I mentioned, um, sleep is something that I've struggled with and I can very easily go into not, you know, going to bed at 2 AM and being fine with it. Um, but the reality is I need to go to sleep sooner. And so, you know, when you're dating somebody who also is up late, it would have been easy for me to say, listen, I need to go to bed at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not the way things played out. So again, you learn your lessons and you grow from it. And yep. um, I mean, that's all that I can really ask, you know, that's all that I can ask for. Um, and even if it was just to be there to know that it's possible um, that pe- there are people out there that can see me and hear me and let me be myself completely. That's something that was just brand new to me. I mean, it was like you were talking about not having relationships that you aspire to have. Um, I do have people in my life whose relationships I do aspire to to have. Um, there's a lot of people in my life whose relationships I don't aspire to have. But, you know, I do at least have people who I do aspire to have those relationships And so I, I do, you know, I've had a taste for it and I know what it looks like and I know what it feels like. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I am, uh, I I may have resigned myself to that. Uh, you know, I would never say never. And if somebody walked in my life that changed that, I, I, uh, reserves uh, the right to change my mind uh, and you know it's so funny right that now, i just i just don't see it happening well i, I think sometimes, like we said you said like when you let go and you surrender right if you've let go that's when things walk in your life yeah um i used to live by the i used to be so polarized in my views that it was like i will never do that and then I look back and everything that I had said, I will never do. I did. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, our, uh, these paths that we do in the substance abuse have a lot of those that if I ever get that bad, I'll do something about it. If I ever start, I will never stick a needle in my arm, you know, and, yeah. and these nevers keep on getting crossed as we, uh, as our disease progresses. Yeah. So uh, it's, yeah, I've learned to never say never again. Yeah. Um, always and never neither one of those things work Mm-mm. it's not always mm-hmm. this way and it's not it's and don't say never so what does your coaching look like what does uh describe that to me what do you do what, what does that look like 
Um, so it's one-on-one -on -one sessions and um, they're hour-long weekly sessions. And in between, if you're familiar with Voxer, which is like a walkie-talkie type system. Um, yeah, it's great. You know, for me being the, you know, addicted to technology, right? Like the, you know, you get a text message and you go crazy. Um, you know, always kind of jonesing for that. Voxer is great because I can put all my clients in this one system and then I can go in a couple times a day and and just talk to them and support them how it needs to be. So that way they're not blowing up my, you know, Facebook messages or my um, my text messages. Um, but yet I still can have a real intimate place to support them. Is it a video chat thing? Like, is that the way it works? Um, it audio only? audio. It's audio. Like Although mail thing. Sort of. I bet you I could send videos that I've never actually tried. I just do audio because you just it's like a remember the old walkie talkies <clears throat> where you press the button and you talk mm -hmm. like that's what it is. You press the button and you just talk yeah. and it records. We your use voice. the thing. We use Marco Polo a lot. Me and okay. my guys and it's okay. videos. It's video messaging. Ah. You know, so I can get on here and I can send my sponsor a Marco Polo and he can watch it at his leisure. You know, it, yeah, uh, yeah. And and we and I, I really, really like it. Uh it uh allows me to get out what I want to get out, you know, allows me to expel or something. Uh I haven't said this in a while though. Uh I must have the ability to discharge negative energy to the universe through safe mm -hmm. people. I gotta yeah. have safe people to do that. And I don't really yeah. think it's the person that I'm doing it to. I think it's to the universe. It's like a grounding yeah. post. Yeah. And it allows me to dip that grounding out of me, you know, because some will happen and I get my feelings hurt or I get my emotions up high, you know, and I'm allowed to feel my emotions and then yeah. I can just pour them out on this Marco Polo to my sponsor. He knows what it is. He can absorb yeah. it healthy without thinking I'm going crazy or calling, you know, getting a welfare check sent yeah. to my house or anything. And, uh, and we do that and we use it. And then we have, I've kind of dropped out of it. Actually, January one, I, we had a group when that was going and it got to be a little bit too much for me. And I ended up dropping out of it, just taking a break. Cause I'm just, it just got to this point where I was yeah. like, I mean, I need a break from this, uh, and I didn't know if I would come back or not. And I haven't yet, but I really like it in the one-on-one, -on -one, uh, in the one-on-one -on -one world. So I think it's probably a similar kind of thing with this box. Yeah, it sounds very, very similar. It's the same um, role. Yeah, it allows just that communication. And, you know, the thing I say is like with therapy, you go once a week, um, sometimes less than once a week, but if you go once a week, you have no communication for the rest of the week. And so when things come up, you don't get support. Um, so that's the nice thing about the coaching world is that when things come up, you have support. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, when I sponsor guys, I have a set of ground rules, you know, and if you are asking me to sponsor you through these 12 steps, uh, I want you to agree to these ground rules. Here's my recipe. So you yeah. have to understand this is what you're getting into. Yeah, exactly. And we're going to meet once a week, but I, I, I have them call me every day. They've got to call me on the telephone every really? day. Yeah. And we start doing oh. that uh, and we build that relationship. And I don't say I'll pick up the phone every day either. <laughs> you got to call me, right? And leave me a message. And I don't want to, you know, I don't go for these messages to say, hey, Dan, just checking in. Give me a call if you get a chance. Bye. That's not, yeah. that's not okay. Yeah. I need to, you need to leave me a voicemail telling me what is going on with your life today. I tell them, I say, uh, if you hit my voicemail, 
pretend like I said, Hey man, what's been going on with you? Yeah. And so we, we get that day to day, uh, more and more I've had some coaches on here, you know, and I, and I never really thought about sponsorship and how that's a similar kind of thing. Really. It's a, it's a coaching and a mentor role thing, you know, it's a miss the mentoring role has fell out of our civilization. You know, that was always Mm -hmm. a really old thing where, you know, you learned how to, the women learned how to do women things from the mm-hmm. older women and the men learned how to do men things from mm-hmm. the older men. And, uh, there's not that, that, uh, although there's still something like that in place, mm-hmm. it doesn't have the intention mm-hmm. that it once did. Well, I think it's, are you familiar with Esther Perel? No, she's, um, she, she's a relationship therapist. Um, but her big thing is that, she talks about how we have so much dysfunction in relationships because we don't have community the way we used to have. Um, I mean, that's like essentially her big, her big thing. And so, you know, when you're looking at relationships, you're looking for now your partner to fill these roles that the community once filled part of that role. Mm-hmm. And so how can you have a relationship thrive when you want your partner to fulfill this community role as well as this partner intimate role? Um, Yep. So yeah, I, I think that's a very interesting take. Um, but yeah, we've we've really, as a society, gone away from that community aspect of of mentorship, and you know, it's supposed to be the parents' role. And then what happens when the parents are out working and surviving? Yep, yep. that's another thing that happened is both parents went to work and yeah. uh, and left kids alone, and uh, I fell under that category. You know, both my yeah, mom and dad too. worked and. Uh, you know, until for whatever school got out at two fifteen or something like that, and they didn't get home till five. Uh, yeah, I got to do and, what I wanted to. Well, I was the oldest of four, so I came home and I took care of my siblings. Is what yeah. I did. Yeah, that caretaking role um, that that mm-hmm. still seems to be there a little, huh? Oh yeah, yeah. And oh, that's the kind of thing that has you doing dishes, or at least I might, I don't want to put anything on you, but from my perspective, that would be the kind oh, of yeah. training that would have you end up doing some dude's dishes. <laughs> well, and I realized that like my ex-husband and my mom are very similar people. It, they're very similar, even down to the traumas they experienced, very, very similar traumas. And um, they never got along until the very, very, very end. Hmm. But he was the only man that my mom ever gave me permission to marry. Um, which is, I think, why I married him, mm. because my mom said it was okay. Um, every other man I dated, my mom would give me reasons why I shouldn't marry them. Mm. Um, Do you think she was right? I think that I was not my own person. I think that um, I think that if I was my own person, my life would have looked a lot different. Like if I had figured this stuff out 20 years ago, my life would have looked a lot different. Yeah. Yep. Um, But I think that, you know, it was okay for me to do his dishes because that's how my mom showed me love as a kid. Right. I was cleaning that house pretty early on. And so that's where I got praised. Yep. Yeah. That's where my love came. Yep. Right. And so by repeating that same habit of doing his dishes, that's where I'm going to get my praise. He's going to love me because I do his dishes. You know, that was there. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, we don't really like, we're not consciously saying that, but that's back in there. Yeah, it's back in there. You know, when I, when I look back at the, like, you know, being okay with not having conversations. Um, yeah, there was, definitely, yeah, there was definitely some of that, definitely some of that, that I got growing up. I mean, my mom used to work. It'd be, we'd be lucky sometimes my mom was home by 11 o'clock. Mm. Um, she was a vis- visiting nurse. And so she had patients all over and, um, this is before cell phones really right now you can get a hold of somebody so easy, but back then you couldn't, yeah, um, no. but yeah, it was kind of normal for me not to have anybody around for, you know, until 10, 11 o'clock at night. Right. Cause that's yeah. when my mom would come home, you know, it, it, um, just the similarities I look back at were, were pretty, pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, you know, you had mentioned that when you got divorced, it was kind of groundbreaking, right? Because your parents had been married for so long. Yeah, I really didn't um, have a lot of divorce around me and my family. It was yeah. interesting. I mean, my parents are still married. Um, I guess they're going on 41 years at this point. Yeah, it'll be they'll be coming up on 41 years. Um, I definitely felt a lot of resistance when I got divorced. There was a lot of people around me that I think are very unhappy in their relationships. And they saw me taking a stand and making a choice. And um, that didn't sit so well with them. It made them uncomfortable, I think, because they were then looking at their relationships. Yep. You know, everything I was saying, like, you know, I'm just not happy. Like, you know, he doesn't pay attention to me. Like I can't have a conversation with him. I can't, you know, I tell him something and then he looks at me straight in the face and says, you never told me that. Um, you know, and then me going like, this is happening and I deserve more. And there were so many people in my life that were like, no, you deserve to be married unhappily. Hmm. No, I don't, um, we do settle. Uh, I, I see, I see a lot of that. I see a lot of, uh, staying married for the kids. Oh, I do too. And, uh, and also the financial stability thing where gal mm-hmm. has no way out or feels yeah. that she has no way out, um, because she's financially dependent upon her husband. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and there's a there's a stuckness that that people get into like that, you know, and they may not ever escape it. You know, I can't I personally can't imagine. Because I take care of me today mm-hmm. and, and I can't imagine myself being put in a position today where I was not, you know, I know that, that life is not all rainbows and unicorns, mm-hmm. but. Uh, but to be sitting in a position where I was unhappy, uh, well, I don't think that'll ever happen again from a yeah. standpoint of something I can change, you know, the serenity prayer stuff, uh, change, have change what I can and know the difference Yeah, uh, and accept what I can't change it, that, 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 that accepting what I can't change is less and less today. Uh, well, and I think that's important too, right? Because I, I grew up. I think I grew up thinking that you can do anything, but then believing that I couldn't do things. Yeah, right. Thing. So, you know, you're told like, oh, you can do whatever you want. The sky's your limit. And yep. then 
Except okay, for this. So, Except so for I them. consciously know this. And then I'm looking at everything that I'm saying, I can't do, I can't do, I can't do. Yeah. Um, and so then, you know, four years later, being in this place of like, no, I can create any life that I want. It might take more time for me to get there. Yep. Right. So at what point in time do I accept who I am and work with it? Or do I consciously try to change it? You know, like yep. if you're going to hit it, you got to aim at it. Yeah. You're not going to hit anything you're not aiming at. And, uh, yeah. and, you know, just just uh, being good enough. Uh, I don't know. The, the wall came down for me where I, I, I was able to stop accepting any limitations. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, some of it, you know, uh, some of it's hooking up with this higher power, whatever is in accepting that, that, and truly accepting that the universe really does want the best for me. Yeah. And help me get that. If I set yeah. my sights on that and uh, and I'm accepting of it, the flow to come in too, you know, there's right. all this energy that happens around. And one of the things that I notice a lot is, um, <clears throat> that I used to constrict the flow of gifts mm-hmm. to me, or the receiving, like, yeah. uh, you know, when I first started doing this handyman stuff, people was wanting to pay me. They were tipping me basically m- above what I was charging them. Mm-hmm. And I would, and I, and I would, sh- I would restrict that flow, you know, oh, you don't have to do that. You don't. Yeah. You know? And, uh, and I learned, no, you allow that. Yep. Flow yeah, to come in to. And accept it and be very grateful for it. And, uh, and stop constricting that flow and that allow more, yeah. you know, and money's not everything, but it allowed that flow to, to come in. And the same thing with friends and, uh, personal relationships. And, uh, I can, I can have what I want, but I do have to have some kind of aiming at something. I have to yeah. have a, a trajectory yeah. of where I'm going. Agreed. Yeah. Cause if you don't, then you have nothing to really aspire to. You have nothing yeah. You can't just sit around and hope things get better. No, mm-mm, mm-mm. no, you have to work towards it for sure. You have to work towards it. Yeah. And, and that um, work thing is another thing that I understand is a part of relationships too. If you're going to have mm-hmm. an intimate relationship, you're going to have a male, female or whatever. In my world is male, female. Mm-hmm. I know there's going to be work involved in that. You know, yeah. some people might say, well, if there's work and it's, you know, you shouldn't have to work at that. Well, no wrong. Uh, you're gonna yeah, have to, no, you that, have to, but you gotta have to have equal have parties to. of working in it and one person yeah. that balance of, of who's working and who isn't, uh, easily gets upset. Yeah, um, no, it, it definitely takes work. Um, it definitely takes work and it, you know, you have to be willing to put that work in because if you're not willing, um, it's not going to work. Yep. I think that's why I'm staying out right now. I'm not willing. Yeah. Well, it sounds like maybe you just aren't ready for it. You know, there's other things going on and, you know, to be honest, right. We talked about relationships being slow and sometimes if there's nobody kind of even potentially in the horizon, right. Like it's okay to not want it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I get a lot of that, you know, talk back to me, the stuff like, uh, oh, the right girl come along. And I'm like, I'm not even looking. Why are we even yeah. going down this path in the conversation? I am not uh, yeah. like, I'm, you know, that there's something wrong with me because I'm no. not looking for a relationship, you know, that I'm, mm-hmm. I'm uh, some of my friends really have trouble understanding that I'm okay. Just doing what I'm yeah. doing without, without a relationship. 
Well, I think a lot of people in this world aren't okay without relationships, right? This is where the codependency of people comes in yeah. that they need people. Just like when you um, think about like you breaking free uh, mm-hmm. of yours and people cannot really be an accepting of that because they're yeah. stuck. A uh, similar kind of thing happens like when one of us gets sober, you know, you got a group mm-hmm. of people who drink together and does stuff and one guy gets sober, it causes everybody else to look at themselves a little bit like, oh, yeah. man. Uh, you know, that dude's a butthead. We don't <laughs> like yeah. him anymore. He's caused People me don't to like shine it. the yeah. light back on myself. People don't necessarily like it. And yeah, we're um, funny creatures. You know, it, it speaks to the inherent nature of humans. Um, it speaks to, I think, our ego, which keeps us safe. Um, like we all have an ego. It yep. keeps each and every one of us safe. And, um, you know, that part of us will come up when we see things that we feel we might be insecure or scared about, you know, that ego likes to come up and, and tell us that we're okay. Yep. Yeah. The, uh, ego gets tossed around a lot. Uh, I understand a piece of it and I know, I know uh, I get some of it. I think to some extent the ego gets more blame for things than maybe it's uh, responsible for, but. uh, I think, you know, I, I think it gets polarized, right. I think it gets a really bad rap, right. If you have, you know, if you're egotistical, right. You're always in your ego. Um, I think the ego is there. It's a beautiful thing. It, it's there to keep us safe. And the problem is it keeps us safe when we don't need to be kept safe too. Right. So um, it's, it's there. It's what tells you not to step out in front of a car. You know, like that car is moving really fast. Do not step out in front of it. Like that's your ego saying, don't do that. Yeah. Um, but nobody really talks about that kind of the ego. It's only when somebody is overwhelmingly into themselves or doing things only for themselves, you know, that that's where we kind of tend to be egotistical. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, our Alcoholics Anonymous book talks about us being self-centered and self-seeking and, uh, and that it says that's the root of our problems is that we're, Mm -hmm. you know, we're running our lives based on ourselves and, uh, you know, one of the lies we tell ourselves is that we're not hurting anybody but our, you know, ourselves. And mm-hmm. the fact of the matter is you're running tornado through the lives of everybody you touch. Yeah. Uh, and that's that ego going crazy. Uh, the self-centered, nobody, nobody matters, nobody matters but me. But, you know, like then there's the other side of the coin. It's like I had to start like putting myself it's, it's almost like a boot camp or something where they tear you down. Yeah. And then build you back up. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, the, the alcoholism and the drugs tore me down. Right. And, and I wouldn't change a thing about it. You know, I uh, was, I spent a year on home incarceration. Uh, I actually just last week dug out of the debt that I caused as of it. Seven years mm. after being sober, seven years, I'm debt free except for my house. Congratulations. Took That's a awesome. Lot, took a lot to do that. Uh, so it was the uh, today I am feeling so much lighter just to have yeah. that particular thing. You know, I mean, it was, it was, uh, some things happened, you know, I was looking at six to 20 years in prison and then that ended up, uh, some miracles happened and I ended up 
they ended up accepting a one-year home incarceration sentence instead. Uh, mm-hmm. Still, uh, for whatever happened, however all that happened, I, I blame God because uh, some things yeah. happened that couldn't have happened in, in any other way that I can understand. And then, uh, you know, I've, I've spent the last seven years basically putting majority of my life's energy into helping other people get sober. Yeah. No, uh, that's, that's what I do today. And, uh, you know, these little benefits of, uh, of, of folk, when I focus my energy on helping other people, good things seem to happen to me without trying. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, you know, it's interesting though, because I think it only starts to happen when you get to a point where you're more or less in alignment. Um, and I say this coming from a people pleaser background where I needed to do things for people. I needed their approval. So I needed to become whoever they wanted me to become Yeah. because I needed that approval. And without that approval, I wasn't okay. Yeah. And so when you're doing things for people because you need their approval, that's different. Um, that's different. It's very, very different. You know, when I kind of first started this journey, it was like, but you know, you're saying to give and I'll give and give and give. Well, I'm giving because I need approval. You know, I need something from you. I don't know that I need something from you, but I subconsciously am seeking something from you. Um, well, we all so, want to be liked, you know, yeah, we, we do. all want that affirmation and approval and, you know, we want people to like us. So we'll do things to try yeah. to get you to like me. And so the work is how to like yourself. Yeah. You know, how, what do you get to do to actually like yourself? Um, because when you actually like yourself, that's when you're giving allows for a lot to come in. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. There's a can't pour from an empty cup kind of thing. Yeah, so exactly. I have to build myself up or you know, get myself in a position. I like that alignment. You know, I'm, uh, throughout this journey, I became a, a yoga teacher. Mm. Uh, yoga came into my life and, um, and really uh, interesting how that leveled up my recovery, uh, adding that into it. And we yeah. talk about true north alignment where you know and when we talk about it in yoga we're talking about mostly like posture and mm-hmm. um and that but it also hit me in a way that like a true north like i got a compass needle inside of me and when i am traveling in my true north man the, i'm just vibrating at a high frequency yeah. and, and yeah. i try to find things that do that for me today um so that i can stay in alignment you know there's a line that Jordan Peterson said one time, and that really touched me. He said, I don't know what it means to be uh, completely in alignment, mm-hmm. but, but I've had intimations of what that must yeah, feel like, yeah. you know, so I get these little pieces of it, you know, and. Right. Cause uh, you're, you're not in alignment all the time. Like if you're in alignment, you're going to come out of alignment. Like, and yep. it just, it's the way this works. Yep. It's, it's just learning how to work it. Is a series of course corrections. You know, it's yeah. just like it's like a sailing. Uh, you know, you can't sail a straight line. You have to. Just, you got to sail a zigzaggy yeah. line, and we do that going down the highway. You cannot hold your steering wheel still and get where yep. you're going. You have to course correct. Yeah. 
Uh, and then, you know, don't beat yourself up because you had to make the correction. Right. That's another thing. Right. Uh, right. Uh, really get really hard on ourselves because, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've gone off course a little bit here or there. Yeah. I mean, it's human nature, I think, to go off the correction. Right. If what we're doing is not what we were originally taught, you know, if we didn't learn this in the first seven years of our life, um, what we're doing in life, those first seven years of our life is always going to pull us back because that's our basic programming. That's where our subconscious was programmed. That's what controls us, our behaviors, what we do. And, you know, we can go into alignment and then just take something little to happen and we go off course. And so it really just becomes you know, being able to recognize that I'm off course and how do I re-steer myself back? How do I get myself back? You know, it's not about winning or losing, so to speak. It's literally how you play the game. Yeah. You know, like it's, it's going to be ups and downs. It's how you ride those waves. Yep. Yeah. We uh, say life on life's terms. Those things happen. Yeah. And and I've had some real bumps in a row, uh, that with the help of, you know, we were talking about community earlier, you know, and I have this wonderful 12 step community around me. My uh, AA men's group is a men's is a, my AA home group is a men's group. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's also works really well for me that I got these guys that are uh, that I'm real tight with, you know, that we do stuff together and like somebody needs, there was a gal, single gal that's in AA uh, moved yesterday and she mm-hmm. called me last week and said she's having trouble getting people. She needs help. Mm-hmm. And and I know today that I can get help, man. And whenever I've put out the word, yeah. say, hey, we, some people, will, will some of y'all come help me move this gal? And mm-hmm. they do. So then I end up with six guys over there showing up, suiting up and showing up and helping somebody else get something done. Uh, that's that piece of community that seems to be yeah. missing in some places where, you know, some of that is just celebrating one another. Some of that is uh, helping one another when somebody needs something. I know for a fact that if I'm in some kind of trouble in just a minute, I could make a couple phone calls and, and, and I would have support. Yeah. I know that right now I am supported Yeah. in that, in, by this community and the same thing, that community keeps me on my toes in a way too. you know, provide some accountability. Uh, if I see somebody maybe going off on a course, that doesn't look good for them. Yeah. Uh, I have a responsibility to say, Hey, Bill, uh, you sure you won't be playing at that end of the ballpark? Yeah. Uh, I'm getting a feeling that that may not be good for you. Right. He can decide if he wants to, yeah. or not. but we do give each other, uh, cause I don't see me very well. Uh, nobody does my sponsor sees me better than i see me and my support group sees me uh and i have to be open to that and allow that you know uh now and again my sponsor will say uh i'm gonna put my sponsor hat on for a minute and that's got me bracing because i don't you know (laughs) i'm getting ready to hear something about me i don't want to hear uh but I had to be open to hearing that and, and, and listening to it. And, and I brace against it every single time. And I, I still, you know, inside want to reject it. I have to take that in and go away and let it soak in a little bit and then take it for what it's worth, you know, take a look at it for real then. 
So I actually am hearing that your sponsor is fulfilling the need. And I don't mean this in the straight way, like in the one for one, but um, I think people aspire to have that one person that they can just be vulnerable with. And I think that's why people get married with that aspiration, right? Mm. That you can be open and honest and um, somebody can say something to you and you can take that feedback process it and be okay with it. And I think that's what people think they want until they get there and realize that they're not who they want. So they're not performing that way, hmm. so to speak. Well, um, you know, like I, I can take his criticism for lack of a better term, you know, uh, in stride, you know, there's no, there's no real risk in that relationship. You know, or when you're with a in a couple, you know, you're 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 taking a risk by telling the other one your truth. And really? That's interesting. So you think there's a risk in in having a relationship with the opposite sex? I'm just uh, talking it out. I don't know. Yeah. That's what I feel. But there okay. is a risk that I'm going to run that person off if I. um if I tell you there's something about you that I don't like, yeah, then I'm risking what your reaction is going to be there. Got it. And, Got uh, it. you know, with, with me and Christopher, that risk is not there. You know, we're, we're buddies and, and nobody's going to run off. Now there is that I've watched these relationships break up too. When somebody gets told, when your sponsor tells you something you don't like and you just decide yeah, you don't want yeah. to break up with him. And, yeah. Uh, when you don't, when you can't hear it, you don't want to hear it. Yeah. And, uh, uh, so that happens there too. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Cause there might be a need met like that being happening. I have that need, but I'm getting it in this way. Yeah. Rather exactly. Than where, where some people might be getting it in their, uh, I don't know, intimate relationship. Well, and to me, I guess the definition of intimacy, right? It's not sex. It's being seen and heard. Yeah. It's being yeah. able to be vulnerable. It's being able yeah. to be who, who I am. Um, that to me, that's how you create intimacy. Yeah. Me being me and me letting you see me. Yeah. For who I truly am. Yeah. Yeah. That to me is intimacy. Um, I agree. I, that when I said intimate relationship, I don't know what other kind of, yeah. I don't know what term you use in that. Uh, what's the definition of that? What is the, what kind of relationship is it? Um, Generally romantic, an intimate I guess. Or, yeah. Yeah, romantic. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Romantic relationship. But yeah, I mean, we have these basic needs and we rely on relationships to fulfill them, but these relationships can come in different different ways they can look different ways and yep. yet we're still getting our needs met yep you have built some really good relationships with sponsees you know it starts out to be in a little bit of a um there's a little bit in the beginning of look uh, i'm gonna tell you what to do because you're not mm -hmm. doing such a good job with your life so why don't you let me uh let me run your life for a little bit mm -hmm. so we get you back on track and then we'll grow you up and then uh and then they get their wings and you know what the the general thing is, is then they start, they grab the next new guy and help yeah. him through. And then you grow, right. I've grown more sponsoring guys than I ever yeah. have. Been oh yeah, for and sure. I, and I have some deep, meaningful relationships with some dudes, a handful of guys, you know, there's two of them have hit my phone since I've been sitting here. 
mm-hmm. in this conversation. And, uh, and it, it's, it's, it is fulfilling a need that I I've had that I never knew I needed, you know, cause yeah. every time I got vulnerable with somebody in my peer group, uh, I would find that that's not like things weren't held in confidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you tell some guy something and next thing you know, it's all over school. Yep. Yep. And, uh, and today I know, you know, and I know if, uh, today I know that I can tell these guys things and they can come to me and we yeah. don't have to worry about where it's going to go. We have this, uh, confidentiality that yeah. between us that, that everything is safe. Yeah. If I don't have, uh, if I don't have safe people to talk to, uh, you know, I, I'd be, I, I'd be in a real big hole. You know, it's, it's, um, it's hard too because I think a lot of us have grown up in environments that were not safe. And um, we had trouble being vulnerable, even with the people that knew us the best. Yep. Um, I see that very often that the people we relied on um, couldn't provide us those safe environments. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I look back at like my, I, I believe. I believe I could have done that with my parents, but for some reason I was unable to. Um, I know that I saw any like I equal I equal vulnerability with weak, mm-hmm. right? And I put those two things like they were one and the same. Uh, so you got to act, you know, you, uh, the bullshit deal of uh, you know the tough guy, you know, and I'm not, you know, but I never was told, you know, we hear these stories that like being told, like one of them is the one stereotypical one is you know mm-hmm. boys don't cry, yeah, you know, or dads would tell a kid, you know, stop crying, mm-hmm. you, or I'll give you something to cry about, yeah, you know, I never had that. <laughs> that was not part of my growing up. Uh, now, but yet I did, still soaked it up, you know, through peer groups mostly. I think is where I got it from. Did uh, your did you ever watch your dad cry? I've seen my dad cry. How often did you watch him cry when you were little? Uh, not a lot. Yeah. See, that's like, because sometimes it, it's not about what we're told. It's what we observe. Yeah. But and so even if we don't. You know, I didn't get told if I come in crying because I skinned up my knee. Yeah. I didn't get told stop crying. You know, but, and I didn't get I didn't receive the direct messaging like that. Because if it's something you're observing and then you have your peer groups reinforcing it, that's where it comes in. Like, oh, my observation, you know, my subconscious observation is true. Men don't cry, you know, like my dad doesn't cry. I, you know, maybe I watch my mom cry, but I don't watch my dad cry. Um, and so then hearing it from those people who were told that, like, you know, blatantly told that that reinforces what you subconsciously have witnessed. Yeah. A lot of what we pick up on is nonverbal. You know, it's, it's actions that we're witnessing. And when they don't make sense to us, then we seek external validation for why it doesn't make sense. I know one of the things that impacted me were uh, bullies. Mm. You know, I got bullied quite a bit when I was little. Uh, some of it I signed up for, you know, at some level, you know, I didn't really, but I will continue yeah. to go back to it over and well, over. Yeah, again. it's like in just for the, to be a to be a part of, you know. Yeah. I was, uh, I'll take shitty friendship over no friendship, right? Right, um, right. 
and and these these goofy ideas about why what made me you know think that those were the cool guys right you know what looking back on you know, what made me think that 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 was the cool that that was the cool bunch and that was not the cool bunch um, yeah and deciding which ones you were going to follow and you know that ended up being where you know i was with the dude who just happened to have parents sold marijuana and so i got to try that now if i'd have been with the ones that i didn't think were cool right that may not have happened right well the you know, cool ones probably they probably felt uncomfortable you know if if you were back you know and i'm maybe going out on a limb i know for myself if i were to be in an environment where i'm fully seen and heard it would have felt really weird to me it would have felt weird to me to the point where i'm going to go find another place hmm. you know interesting yeah then uh then you take all these lessons and then you then i try to be a parent and uh god dang there's nothing we talk about powerlessness and you know that's our step one yeah uh, and how many places in life i'm powerless against and the man having kids is uh up the ante on powerlessness beyond my understanding uh yeah i can i can only imagine um you know, I don't have kids. Um, my baby brother would jokingly call me mommy number two. There's mm -hmm. eight and a half years between us, but um, I don't think I ever wanted kids. And it ultimately in part led to my marriage breaking up was that, you know, I, I'd actually had a lot of physical health problems aside from the hips, which um, I mentioned that may have been off off it was off, off the air yeah. when you talked about well, getting a yeah. car brick. Well, we can go back and talk about that. But I also had had chronic Lyme disease um, from age 16 on. Golly. And, yeah, and I, was, yeah. Ugh, I was told I was not supposed to have kids. And um, I don't think I wanted kids, so I affirmed that. And But my ex and I were, were investigating fertility treatments and... Um, a surrogate, which is super expensive. And the thought of paying a lot of money to have a kid, to bring a kid into this world. Not only did it not make sense to me, but my thought was like, my God, if I pay $100,000 to bring a child into this world, I'm going to be the biggest helicopter parent because mm -hmm. I just would need to control it. So, you know, like, both of my kids are IVF babies. Are they? Yeah, both of them. Um, yeah. yeah. It's an interesting dynamic that you, uh, when you, when you, when you have to go to that length. Yeah. Uh, what kind of, what, what kind of parent does that make you, you know? Yeah. You and I mean, I was really faced with that when we were going through it and I mean, I think parents, it can ultimately be a huge lesson, but I think when you actually have to like take extra steps to bring children into the world, it. Yeah. Both ours were on purpose, one. real hard on purpose. Yeah. Uh, uh, oops, I'm pregnant stuff. Yeah. And that, that's kind of where I was at. Like, I can't imagine, you know, putting so much effort and energy and money and into bringing a child into this world and you know having that child also connected to another person and there's a lot of stuff behind it um yeah um i i feel funny sometimes saying this uh but 
I never really wanted kids. Mm -hmm. uh, my wife, everything that I, every major milestone thing we went through together was basically uh, under the ultimatum that uh, this is progressing or we're over. Mm -hmm. and it really wasn't that bad, you know, it wasn't that clean cut, but that's the way I felt about it. You know, let's buy a house. I don't really feel like buying a house. I kind of like renting. Uh, nope, we're buying yeah. a house. Well, okay, yeah. that's gonna we're having kids. Oh, are we? Yeah, we're having kids. And, uh, you know, uh, it wasn't, you know, there were, it's going to say, like, the fog that I was under from the dope and the booze. Well, uh, made me not be, you know, I had, I didn't have any like real perception of things, you know, but I uh, might flip that and say, it sounds really painful to need your wife's approval and you doing things that you didn't want to do because you needed her approval. You needed that relationship to work mm -hmm. and yeah. that's painful. And yeah, what do you want to do? You want to get out of that pain, right? So that's where you go. So the booze, the drugs, like yeah, good point. That escapes you, you know. So that's a really it kind of goes both ways. Yeah, it does go both ways. You are exactly right. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, I had to be real careful. You know, I don't want to. Uh, it's not fair to throw that on her. You know, that was well, no. And so I don't want to make sure I'm clear that that's not what it is. But definitely, it's a mm -mm. cycle that can be. Uh, you know, that's that's the that's like the crux of what we do is that we begin yeah. these cycles and and we get in these unhealthy next things that we're not realizing we're you know we're kind of tumbling through space unaware so yeah. to speak. well when we have these things like you know you 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 grow up you go to college you get a degree you get a job you get married you have kids like when you have these milestones and when you're not there like if you're not ready to be there but you have people telling you you need to be there well those people that are telling you are the closest people to you. Right. Yeah. And so you want their approval. Yeah. And so you'll do things because you want their approval. Yep. Yep. And that's what I did. You know? uh, yeah. Uh, I would have done anything. <laughs> and to be honest, you did, you did a whole heck of a lot, right? Like, yeah, it, it took a toll. Yep. It did. Uh, you know, think about, there's a question that gets asked all the time. If you would change anything, would you? And, uh, you know, the truth of the matter is, is that, uh, I would rather had not gotten divorced. Uh, mm. if I could, have, if I could have had my, now, do I want to go back? No, yeah. uh, I'm not like looking to patch it up, but, uh, I, one of the things was the, the, the pain that was that the problems that it cost my children. They were yeah. like uh, seven and nine or something when we got divorced and mm. it was really, really hard on them. And I kind of see, you know, I mean, it's hard enough to be a kid nowadays, period. Yeah. Um, but then again, I also know that, you know, we all got these somehow or another, you know, we draw these cards out of the universal deck and uh, that's the hand we get to play. And yeah. um, it's a, uh, and you know they may be exactly the same kids. Had we got, have we stayed married? They may yeah. be exact. They may have the exact same pile of problems, or a completely or new completely set that different. was just as bad, or even worse. I or mean, worse. let's be honest, right? Yep. Because yep. if they had endured more of your fighting or your your problems that weren't being resolved, um, sometimes I wonder how much toll that takes on kids. Yep. 
you know, it really normalizes things. Um, I don't know. I, I really love it when I see people who get divorced and make commitments to become better because we have a good relationship today. That's awesome. The four of us, you know, the two kids and, you know, for a while now they've chosen to stay with their mom's house more than here, yeah, uh, which is okay. Um, but her and I have a good relationship now and, uh, and I believe that, yeah. And the kids and I have a good relationship now. So yeah. all that and ends up being okay. Sometimes I think you can't heal in the same environment that you're hurt in. Yeah. Right. And, you know, in that aspect, I think divorce can be good. Yeah. Yep. You know, it's, it's hard. Don't get me wrong. I probably the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, it definitely brought me to my knees real bad. You know, I, yeah. like, in 2011, I, I, decided to start doing something about my drinking and, um, you know, and I didn't desire, decide the universe decided <laughs> that mm-hmm. Dan was going to do something. And, uh, and I got a year of sobriety between 2011 and 2012. And then I went back to it and we were together then. So she would rode along with me, but then whenever I relapsed, you know, she wasn't going to ride that horse again. And, yeah. um, yeah. And then when that, then that crushed me and, uh, and one thing after another, man, that's what, I, you know, it just, that, that ended up life just got too heavy and the drinking got worse and the drug got worse and, uh, everything ended up collapsing on me. And, uh, so it was like whatever, 2014 was, I was in rehab twice. I had those burglarly charges on me and, uh, mm-hmm was an inch from, I just got demoted and was my next step was going to be, uh, fired and poo is a tough year, but yeah. Uh, you know, um, but I'd go do it again to have what I have in my life. Right. right now. I mean, I was going to say, look at you now, like where you are now compared to where you were then it's like, we needed to go through these really bottom barrel moments. Thing is, we just don't change unless there's a great deal of pain. No, you know, we'll settle for okay until you know yeah. it has to get really bad before somebody will. Uh, it's a funny thing, you know, you watch these guys come into 12 step programs, and and like the bigger consequences they got, the happier I am, and the better chance they got to like, yeah, get this yes. If, if it's like most of the time, if a dude's wife is just mad at him, that ain't going to be enough. <laughs> you need some legal stuff. You need to have lost your job, some homelessness. And, you know, we got to up the ante a little bit. And, uh, yeah, for now sure. we, and I really like it. I, I've had some, I get to sponsor some guys in their twenties, man. And I want so badly for them to turn their lives around before it gets to where our mom was. And I've had some, you know, I've been fortunate enough to have a little bit of that, and yeah. watch these guys uh, turn their lives around before they hit the bottom. Yeah. Um, I mean, they, that's, those are anomalies. Well, and that's where I wonder if society is going towards, right? Because it's becoming more commonplace and mainstream. I mean, you and I are sitting here doing this podcast, right? So information is out there unlike ever before. Oh, yeah. Um, and so even if maybe it's not being consciously consumed, I think that sometimes subconsciously, society has shifted a little bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, there's something really powerful in being in a ton of pain and needing to move away from it. Yeah. And again, it's like, it's pain that, you know, I guess when you're, when it comes to drugs and alcohol, right? Like that's numbing the pain. Um, it stops working. 
it's well yeah that's what i was gonna say like you know for me because i was never a huge drinker although i will acknowledge um when i was going through my divorce i did drink more than i should have and i at the time would tell you i'm in pain and i'm drinking i mean that i knew what i was doing um I was very conscious in that in those choices um maybe not all the time but for a vast majority of it i was very conscious and um like i hurt so i'm going to have a drink um but i think most people don't start out that way they just they find it oh this makes you feel better let's do this more and more and more yeah some of my early ones was social lubricant kind of things you know of being able to yeah not really be uh, social without that and when i found that and then i could be social you know the, the yeah. stereotypical thing i could ask the girl to dance you know right uh, and uh right. you, you really get dependent upon that you know because then that's a that's another one of those vicious cycles that that i can't you know uh, i uh I can only be social drinking and right. so then you just start drinking anytime you're going to be in some social situation and you begin drinking just in case yeah. something happens and uh, then 30 years disappears and you wonder what the hell happened. I remember yeah. you know, it got to a point to where alcohol was not doing what it was doing for me at one point. Like it used to be that I could drink and, and I was primarily a beer drinker. Um, but it started making me feel bad instead of good. Mm -hmm. You know, I would drink and 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 then you know the you I tell myself that like the next one will make me feel better <laughs> and the next one will make oh. me feel better and the next one will make me feel better and you never could get to that oh no. you never could get to that feeling good again and then that's when I found the pain pills. When I found the pain mm -hmm. pills, that fixed the pain went away. So then I could you know it, the magic of the alcohol started working again. And then, but those are not sustainable either. Mm -mm. And, uh, mm -mm. and that's what ended up having me breaking in houses, stealing them. Yeah. I was going to uh, say, cause there's, I guess caught. the ways you go, you're going to get, you're going to be stealing, breaking, breaking, entering, or you're going to go the other route. And you're going to start with yep, the opioids, with the heroin, with the, yep. you know, yep. something I was, cheaper. I was just at that point when, uh, when like I again, got saved. Uh, yeah. I had bought, I had bought some heroin from a guy a couple of times and then he, then he took my money and he didn't come back. Mm. And, uh, and I got, I was mad enough that I, I, I giggle about now. Uh, I was so mad at that dude that I said, I will never do heroin again. And then my sobriety date is like about four weeks after that. Wow. Uh, wow. Yeah. It's funny. That guy's you dead. Know. <sighs> I watched so many people die in recovery. It's unreal. There's not a week that goes by that I don't have somebody a couple degrees away from me that that are uh, that are dying. It's a tough life. Yep. The uh, you know this opioid epidemic, but you know people are you know alcohol does as much damage as does way more damage than yeah. narcotics do. Period. And yeah, uh, brings it home though. You know. Uh, uh, there's some little like some must die so others will live. I don't know if I don't really like that little saying, but it seems to be, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it, it brings the gravity of uh, the drug and alcohol addiction thing. You know, uh, if you're not having enough pain in your life, how about that family? Yeah. Use their pain a little bit. 
Yeah, I mean, that is something, you know, we definitely do, you know, oh, you know, my life isn't that bad. Look at that person over there. Um, but the reality is when it comes to pain, when it comes to trauma, when it comes to these events we process, it's not about the event. It's about how we process it. Um, you know, things that are traumatic that are creating pain in us. They say trauma takes about 90, 90 seconds to process. Hmm. Um, now, if you're experiencing a lot of events, I think it can compound it a little bit longer. But um, understanding how to actually process emotions through us instead of locking them away. That's where the pain comes from. When we lock them away and we hold yep. on to them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I agree. You had talked about yoga. I think movement is so important in recovery. You've got to learn how to move your feelings, your emotions. Um, you've got to move your body. You've got to yep. get inside your body, be able to touch it, feel where they are. Yeah. And then be able to move it through. Yep. Yep. I think that's uh, really, really important. Yeah. It's an age old thing too, the mind, mind body, spirit. They've been saying mm -hmm. you got to take care of those three. Yeah. Uh, the, that's the official or the, the old, the original the OG triad and uh 12 step recovery did a lot for my mind and my spirit, but nothing for my body. You know, we yeah. said, we said, they said, stand around AA meeting, smoke cigarettes and drink coffee and eat donuts. And, uh, and, and I've watched people get well faster when they implement. It's kind of another one of my ground rules. I want you to get moving. I know that yeah, doesn't say, I know it doesn't say that in that 12 step book, uh, but I want yeah. you to get moving. If I don't care if I get up off the couch and walk for 30 minutes, a few times a week, get up and do something. Yeah. Come to yoga with me. Yeah. It's, it's so important. Um, for me, I've always been an active person. I've always played sports my life, my entire life. Um, yeah. I mean, I swam and I dove and um, yeah, I played lots and lots of sports, but you know, I was going back to what I had mentioned before. I was 16 when I was diagnosed with Lyme disease and I was 16 and I had my first IV pick line put in, um, you know, my first course of IV antibiotics. I had probably four or five courses through my life. I was treated for 27 years. Golly, man. Um, I'm outside a bunch. I hunt and fish a bunch. And that's always been one of my, uh, I have a fear of uh, that and the other one that makes you allergic to red meat, the other tick thing. Yeah. Yep. Those yeah. Lyme disease. And I can't, I can't remember what it's called, but yeah. Golly. Um, How'd you end up? I mean, I, do you get Lyme disease the way most people get it? Do you yeah, know? Well, yes and no. Um, growing up the house we lived in, we had ticks every day of the year. Um, we used to fill an old empty Mayo jar with alcohol and that's where the ticks would go. We'd fill a jar every summer, if not two jars, every summer with that many ticks. So I was definitely bitten. Um, you know, in retrospect, potentially I was born with it. Huh. Um, my mom was probably bitten when she was in high school and potentially got sick with it. Um, I think there was part of it where it was you know, I don't know. My mom was a nurse. And so my mom, love was medicine. You my know, oh, you don't, too. what? It's a classic codependent. I, 
there's something like 80, 90% of all nurses are codependents. Um, something crazy like that. Huh. Um, right. Because it's that need to fix to help. Right. Um, but with my mom, like her way of showing love was helping you with your medical problems. And so I think it was also at a point in time where like my mom was a little bit absent and I was seeking her attention. Mm. And I'm not saying that I wasn't sick with Lyme. I think that I, I prolonged my illness um, for her attention. Yeah. And um, I look back at certain points in my life where my mom wasn't talking to me and then what happens next? Suddenly I'm sick again, you know? Um, and then my mom's talking to me because she, she needs to fix me. Yeah. So I think that that's why 27 years, you know, I think there's something to the science of the drugs. Um, and again, it was 28, 29 years ago when I was first treated. So things potentially have changed. I'm not sure, but yeah, I've, I've known other people with Lyme who've gotten Lyme and then they've been totally fine. Yep. I know some too. I know some yeah. people who've had the long-term effects and then some people who have just gotten treated and were went on. Yeah. And so I think there's something to the effect of like, when you set that intention of how you're going to clear your body of it, Yeah. then that's, what's going to happen. Yep. Yep. I noticed another thing. Uh, the people who were most, <laughs> not completely, but the people who were most afraid of the pandemic got sick. Mm-hmm. And the people like I mean, I I sort of joke around about this, but I'm dead serious. I made a deal of higher power to not get it. And mm-hmm. I have not gotten it. And I haven't been that damn careful about it either. I just put it yeah. out in the universe that I am not getting that. Period. I'm not getting it. You know, it's interesting. I had made that same kind of pact. And then I did get COVID. I got COVID last um late last August. Mm. Um I'm a little bit scared of the knock on wood kind of thing, but I'm going to stick yeah. with it. Well, and I know how I got it. And if I hadn't gotten it, that would have been beyond miraculous because I was exposed to a very high viral load. Huh. Um, but I think that I fared better because I had that mindset of like, it's, it's not going to kill me. It's not going to like, it's not going to do awful things to me. Yeah. Yeah. Me and my dad have both uh, escaped it. His his mm-hmm. sister died uh, mm. a couple of months ago from it. That, Sorry. But she was really uh, she was compromised. She had had a, a liver transplant a long time ago and she okay. probably outlived that liver transplant. But miraculously already. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then then she con- she she contacted COVID and boom, within a week. And that's really the know, it's come to me. The sad thing is it could have even been the flu that, yeah, that took right. her out, you know, yeah. like it, it didn't have she was to be susceptible COVID. to anything. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 No doubt. Uh, what about this? Uh, I usually like to keep these someplace around two hours. That's where we're at. But I'd like to hear more about this uh, wreck in that part of your life. Yeah, for sure. The accident. Um. I'm not so even it, sure it was a wreck. 
Yeah, no, it, it wasn't even really, it was a rear ending. Um, I had just finished my master's degree that day. Um, it took me six years to finish the two-year program. Um, and because I was sick with the Lyme, I had to stop and take time. And then I went back and I finished it. So for me, after six years, it was pretty big to, to finish this. Um, I, I sat that day in my advisor's office for about two hours, didn't really have a direction as where I was going to go. Um, I knew a lot of what I didn't want, but I didn't know what I wanted. And so we were talking about a lot of different things, exploring different potential jobs, employers. And a master's um, in what? Public health. Okay. Um, public health. Um, and because I have a unique background, I have a bachelor's degree in math. And so it was kind of how do you um, how do you kind of mirror the two? And the, my track in public health wasn't the epidemiology, which would have made sense, right? Because it would have been too easy if it made sense. Um, my track was public health policy, which is a ton of writing, and that's not my favorite thing. Um, so we were talking about different ways that I could, you know, enter the work workplace, um, these corporate jobs. And coming home that night, um, I was talking to my mom on the phone. She was on speakerphone, but I was at a, at a traffic light. And I had my foot on the clutch and kind of balancing, but the light was red. And all of a sudden, I was rear-ended. Hmm. Um, so I was at a complete spot stop, but I was still rear-ended. And um, it actually caused three hip surgeries. Um, spent several years not being able to walk. Dang. And to me, in retrospect, I look back and I, I look back. Um, I mean, that was the universe's way of saying, Megan, you're not supposed to work in public health. Like, hmm. You're not supposed to go that way. Um, you're not supposed to work in corporate. But I didn't quite listen. Um, I think it was also the universe's way of saying like, hey, this is, you know, your time for you. You get to do what you want, not what other people want you to want you to do. Um, I mean, I ultimately married my now ex-husband because I needed health insurance to have surgery. Um, yeah, I look back, it was just such an interesting time in my life. It was, it was tremendously painful. I mean, I was in physical pain all the time. I'll bet. All the time. And I'm assuming that you at least at some level went down a narcotic pain reliever route. Uh, you almost can't do that without it, but it hooks some people more so than others. Yeah. You know, people don't I don't like them. I don't like them. Um, I love them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I can say that I don't like them. I, they had me on um, Percocet. I had had my gallbladder out a couple of years prior. The Vicodin, I took like over a week or a week and a half period of time. I took maybe 10 pills. Um, so maybe one pill a day. I mean, we're not talking every four to six hours. We're talking very small amount of pills. When I stopped that, that Percocet, I didn't sleep for 48 hours. Mm -hmm. And that was enough for me to be like, no. Like you're not touching that drug again. Yep. My um, uh, sponsor is also a licensed clinical 
substance chemical dependencies counselor. I don't mm-hmm. know a bunch of letters and stuff. Yeah. Uh, he keeps me up on the science of things. And that's what he does as his day-to-day job. And uh, there's a lot of science coming out now. It's talking about the rewiring that happens in your brains from even short periods of being on those drugs. Yeah. Uh, that, and it just matters how you do it, you know, your makeup, but uh, it can flip a switch in you that you don't have any control over. Yeah. And, uh, and that switch don't get flipped back. Yeah, real easy. for sure. I mean, I'm very grateful that even that short period of time didn't flip that switch entirely. Um, I think that just seeing that I wasn't sleeping was enough to, to move away from it. And I just saw, I just saw that as like a productivity increase. <laughs> well, you want to know what ended up happening though. So because I'm afraid of, narcotics. Um, and again, here and there, I would take them like, especially right after that surgery, you know, maybe for a few days. Um, yeah. Yeah. We don't give up the right to pain relief. I mean, it stuff does what it says it's supposed to do. So it does, it does. But I was in so much pain for my hips that I created an ulcer because I was taking NSAIDs. I was taking prescription, um, anti-inflammatories that ultimately created an ulcer. Um, it threw my whole digestion process off. My digestion stopped. It turned into something called gastroparesis, which means it's not processing. Because um, if you're putting stuff in and it doesn't come out, it comes back up. And um, yeah, I dealt with that for a long, long time, for years of just not being able to eat properly. Yeah. Um, and having to really only eat simple sugars because that's what would be digested just to get calories in. Hmm. Um, and then you're still, you know, if I'm not supposed to be taking the NSAIDs, but then you're still in pain, what do you do? Yeah. There's only so many choices. I mean, I'm now at a point where I know alternative methods for pain, right? Like things I use in my coaching, um, some of the energy work, breath work, meditation, when you access those tools, you find that you've got that power within yourself. But me back then, I remember um, a physical therapist giving me breath work and I was like, what's this? This is dumb. You know, she doesn't know anything, you know, and like this woo woo bullshit, <laughs> yeah, like breathing, my breath won't change this you know, like this, you know, um, and here I am, how many years later, going, no, breathwork really works. Like, this stuff works. Yep. You know, you, yep. you've got a lot of power in your mind, and There's you been, can heal your body. Our step 11 uh, contains meditation. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that's been, and you, anytime somebody tells me they're having trouble sleeping, uh, meditation is what helped me. And, it, uh, I credit it with my ability to sleep. Uh, I have learned to turn myself off. Yeah. <laughs> I, I flip a switch yeah. and I'm turned off and I can take a 15 minute nap and wake up refreshed because yeah. I don't spend any time getting to sleep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and uh, breath work is included with that. You know, I kind of, yeah. it's kind of a part of my meditation that kind of one and the same, but there's so many uh, little, yeah. little things, you know, there's uh uh, when life comes down and it just does, sometimes it doesn't make any different, you know, you, it's going to, 
the fact that you just sit back and breathe for a minute, yeah, just say, oh, stop, break. We say have a little line in that book that says pause when agitated or doubtful. Yeah. Talk about our pause button, you know, rather than Mm -hmm. we have this, we have this need to react. Yeah, that's and huge. Stop that and, and get to where your habit is, is to sit back. And that's, you know, uh, there's also another line in there. It says that this stuff becomes a working part of your mind after you've done it for a while, you know. Yeah. And then when you actually catch yourself doing that automatically, you know, without having to think about it, because for a mm-hmm. while you had to kind of like jump out of your bones for a minute and then go, oh, no, hold on. I'm not supposed to do that. Yeah. And now it's an automatic thing that when something comes down, man, uh, I step, take a step back. And breathe for a little bit and yeah. just, just take some deep breaths and allow that moment to pass and then see what to do next. There's something really powerful when you're able to almost pull yourself out of your body and witness your behavior yep. and catch yourself, um, yep. catch yourself in your behavior and change it in that moment. Yep. Yeah. It feels real. It's a. It's almost like magical. It's like it is. Uh, it's like a superpower or something. Uh, it's it and is. I tell my guys when they're new, they don't understand what I'm talking no. about. And I say, hey, I'm operating on this plane that you won't understand until you do this work. Yeah. Uh, and then then uh, you know, it's like being it's like the red pill or whatever. It's like the movie The Matrix. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. I'm operating on some plane where I get to bend my own reality and I get to like make yeah. things happen the way that I want them to happen. Right. You know, like it's, I can't go, I haven't been able to manifest a lottery ticket yet. It's not that kind of thing, you know, but I can, I can bring good into my life on a regular basis. You can manifest wealth in different ways, right? You just have to be open to how it comes to you. Yep. Right. It's not going to look like how you probably explicitly want it, or it's not going to look like how you wanted it before you started doing this work. We have a lot of people that come into a program that are, that have chronic pain issues. Yeah, that's pretty typical, you know, and uh, and then we also this body we have when it starts getting relief from a particular thing, it really gets attached to that thing, you know. So then like when I get off my pain medication, I'm hurting worse than ever. You know, I remember I remember going through that with when I stopped the opiates, Uh, everything hurts. Yes, it's exemplified. Uh, It really is. And then trying to find other methods, more holistic type of ways to deal with the pain uh, is a is is a is a, is a constant thing around my, in my neighborhood. <laughs> Not me yeah. personally. I don't deal with it. Uh, yoga has helped me with that a whole bunch. Yeah. I've got a bad back, but as long as I continue to do my yoga, I stay strong enough in my core and everything that I'm able to stave that off. Well, and the other thing too, is that I'm very conscious about where my emotions go. And like when certain things start hurting me, what does that mean? What does that tell me that I'm not looking into myself and, yeah. you know, the issues are in your tissues. I love it. Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, it's so true. The body keeps the score. I don't know if you've ever read that yeah. book. Yeah, I'm it's a great book. With some of that, yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, all your stuff gets stored in you. No one ever tells you that. Nope. Right? Like we grow up in this society of like, how do you avoid cancer? How do you avoid, you know? heart disease how do you avoid all these different issues um nobody tells you that you have that in your control yeah yeah it's interesting yeah we learned to diagram sentences and uh high level math and but these pretty simple things that you know one of the things that i never learned was how to deal with money you know yeah 
nobody uh, does uh, well very few people i think do but yeah. uh, if, if it was taught to me i missed it and mm -hmm. uh and it's a fundamental thing you're gonna have to deal with and the same thing with this stuff on this and there is a big movement uh a lot of people are talking about this more holistic type of yeah. way of taking care of ourselves rather than relying on, uh, I guess you might say Western medicine or whatever yeah. the, to take a pill. The uh, That pill yeah. didn't work. Try this. One. Oh, that pill yeah. didn't work. Try this one. Well, and now I even see like genetic testing and, you know, I've had people say, well, I know that, you know, these antidepressants don't work because I was genetically tested and my genetics don't agree with them. Like, but at what point does that doctor say, no, there's other reasons why you're depressed. Let's talk about why you're depressed. You know, like I had three hip surgeries and nobody could tell me why my first hip retore. At no point in time did the doctor say to me, Megan, have you ever thought about the fact that you're storing your emotions um, inside your hips and that it's a point of weakness? And unless you process them out, mm -hmm. you know? Yep. Yep. Uh, um, yoga teaches a lot of that, that then you strung it. And uh, we do, we, uh, we hold emotions in our hips. Yeah. And, well, you know, uh, it's interesting. I've had, I had done yoga for, I mean, I took yoga in college. Um, if it was taught, I don't remember it. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, you can learn the poses and that's one thing, you know, the asanas, uh, yeah. but there's a lot more to yoga than just the poses. Uh, frankly, yoga is an entire lifestyle, much like a religion. Yeah. It's like a, you know, and just matters how far you want to take it. If all you're going to do is the poses, that's one thing, but, uh, they, uh, my, my yoga teacher training was more of a complete mind, body, spirit kind of, mm -hmm. uh, thing than just what are the poses. Right. Yeah. And I think that that's, you know how it, it should be right because it is mind body spirit and um i know that when i was in college we did some of the some of that but i remember doing chakra work yep um like the first semester was just the poses but the second semester we got more into the the mind body spirit the whole totality of it but it at any point nobody ever said or again if it was said i don't recall it like, that's the thing yeah because again it, it very well could have said to me and it went in and out like i fully acknowledge that um yep, yep. That, i struggle with that all the time I, I hesitate to say they didn't teach me that because there's a real good chance i wasn't listening yeah i wasn't i wasn't open to hearing yep. it yep um but yeah you know watching um, watching how pain plays out in my body. Um, I'm to the point where, so my first hip surgery was 2011, January of 2011. Um, but yeah, I'm to the point where I work out daily. Um, I do hit almost every day. So I've come a long way and, um, you know, maybe my mobility is not where it would have been pre car accident, but I can walk, I can run, I can lift weights, I can do hip bridges with 135 pounds. Um, you know, I can do squats. Like I'm, I'm not worried. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't find any kind of physical activity that I could sustain until I found yoga. 
Really? Uh, you know, anything I would do, I'd do for a little bit and then it would fade out. And, uh, and, but I fell in love with yoga and, and a matter of fact, I got a 4 PM appointment today or you go to class and yeah, uh, I'm trying, I did it real. I, I went, you know, I don't know if this is only alcoholic, but we tend to do things a hundred percent. And, uh, and, and I went head over heels for, for a while. And then I got my teacher training certificate and then COVID hit right then and all the yoga studios shut down. Yeah. I really never had any plans of teaching anyway. I mean, if you'd asked me, I told you I was taking yoga teacher training just to improve my own personal practice. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that been the truth. Um, but, uh, it still swept my feet up when it came in. At the same time, that exact same time was the job change. So instead of sitting at a desk all day long, you know, I was in a I was in a pattern of getting up and getting to the yoga studio at six o'clock in the morning, mm -hmm. uh, doing an hour of a of a real physical power vinyasa, mm -hmm. and come home, take a shower, and head to work every day. Mm -hmm. And uh, but now that I'm actually physically working. Mm -hmm. uh i ended up where you i started need it less yeah. probably oh i don't know that i need it less i think i might need uh, it more really I'm just okay. less inclined to do stuff uh to get up and start my day like that because i don't know there's a thing like i'm gonna and it's the, the, my my what might i say the uh my perception is, is if I shoot that energy off early in the morning, yeah. I might need it later and it's gone. The reality is, is when I do that, then I have more energy all day long. Yeah. But I can't get that in yeah. here. Good enough to, uh, oh, so, so today my yoga looks like work all day and hope that I have time to get to it and I have energy at the end of the yeah. day to go. And so, I've done it by myself, you know, but I can't, I can't, I can't push myself at the, I can't push myself at the level that I can push myself in the studio. Well, and that's interesting too, because, um, I firmly advocate working out in groups, you know, I've joined, um, we actually call it an anti-gym, um, but where I work out, it's a community, um, we do it all outside, which is, I guess the benefit of being in Raleigh, it gets a little cold, but. Um, she started with the pandemic and so it's called six foot fit. So we've all got our mats in a parking lot and she brings a trailer full of weights and all sorts of stuff. But there's something really powerful in the social aspect to working out and to that movement. And when you have that social aspect, that makes you more apt to go and do it and work yep. out. And yep. maybe if you're not feeling it, you know, maybe I go a little bit lighter that day, but I'm at least fulfilling that social need. Yep. I know that's, uh, you know, my, my recovery is community-based. The yeah. way that I really got into meditation was through group meditation was sitting really? in group okay. meditation. There was nothing. That's what I, you know, there's nothing. But I just got lucky. Yeah. Alcoholics are really unlucky. They are. When well, they when create that luck, don't when they? When they're active, you know, you'll hear them though. You know, you'll hear guys come in new and they'll talk about how unlucky they are. Yeah. You know? And like, man, I am lucky as hell nowadays, you know, Yeah. Uh, and I saw this luck happen and finding a group meditation was one of these lucky things that happened. You know, that year of uh, home incarceration was luck. Yeah. You think that had really been bad, but what happened is, is I had some controls on me in early recovery to where I wasn't going to a bachelor party and being tempted. And I wasn't going to the mm -hmm. Super Bowl party and I wasn't going, you know, I was protected. 
uh, you know, I could have easily messed that up. I could have easily done that. But um, in group, you know, that's one of the things I find in yoga, too. I like going to the studio. I like yeah. to talk to people. I like to do that together. Uh, so much of my life today is done in the group atmosphere. Yeah, yeah for me, um, working out, that's my community. That's my local community. Um, and I actually prefer to do it at the end of the day because that's where I get all those emotions, feelings, whatever that's stored inside me. That's where I get that out. And I yep. very much set that intention to release that energy. Yep. Um, and I, I find I sleep better. Um, yep. That's another thing about people who, uh, like guys come in to, they, they walk in the doors of recovery and they feel like crap all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what they'll say, you know, they feel, and that's part of what the deal is, is, you know, uh, we drink and drug to change the way we feel. Yeah. Well, what's underneath of what's going on. It makes you have this need to change the way you feel. Yeah. Uh, but they'll be, you know, they're lethargic and they're, they don't just don't have any energy and, and can't sleep at night. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and you find you say, what are you eating? You know, yep. and they're eating crap food. Uh, what are you doing for yourself? Like exercise? Oh, I don't exercise at all. You know, and it's like, well, it's, mm-hmm. you know, if you would just change those two things, I think we could have a big impact on where, where, how you're feeling. Let's start yeah. eating better and get up and start moving your body. And, uh, at the same time, we'll start working these steps and we'll yeah. watch the magic happen in, in, in another guy. But, um, yeah, to, to exercise is a really good sleep inducer yeah but you know it is it's it's a real habit it's a habit that you've got to get into and um it can be hard for a lot of people it can be especially people that didn't grow up having it modeled to them yep Yep. you know or you know weren't like you said you know you were an athlete and did that you know so and i was too i played basketball and football and baseball and i was just athletic growing up we would get together and and play basketball at the church over here behind the house, you know, and we were just doing yeah. that kind of stuff. So kind of comes natural to me where if that wasn't your deal, yeah. uh, wouldn't, wouldn't come to you quite the same. And I know I have friends that I work out with now that have said that they, like, they were not exposed to that in the same way, you know, growing up, yeah. like. And then you throw some, uh, you know, a person is a little heavier than others mm-hmm. and then they got that bound that that boundary perceived. that's having to be perceived yeah but you know perceived. it looks like they got farther to go you know yeah. like i tell people that come to the yoga studio what you see on tv is not what it looks like at the yoga yeah. studio it looks like regular people down there you know it's yeah. not it's not full of hot yoga chicks it's full of regular people <laughs> yeah for sure for sure um where I work out, I love because she runs a beginner's class um, that is full of primarily women, I would say, but that don't look like your typical athletes. Yeah. And, you know, they aren't out there, you know, running the miles like their warm up looks like a walk yeah. and that's perfectly fine. And, yeah. you know, like I've watched a lot of those women really lose weight, feel better about themselves, um, just by showing up and yeah, there's something really, really powerful about movement and exercise. And when you can do it with a community, it's just so powerful. Yeah. Yeah. During Um, COVID I was having people come on my, come to my backyard on Sundays. That's awesome. Doing yoga in the backyard. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you were doing the same thing. Yeah. 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 It's a, I found it through a one thing called Y12SR, uh, which is a yoga 12 step recovery. It's a combined 12 step recovery huh. and yoga. And uh, okay. they do it all over. And it's a real thing, you know, Y12SR. And, uh, and it's you know, it's 12 steps for everybody too so there's no mm-hmm. qualification you don't have to be mm-hmm. an addict or whatever Just come on in and uh and i got tricked into going to one by a girl i was dating and uh she she knew i wouldn't go and she wanted she tricked me into going to yoga and when she got me there and you know there's no turning back at that moment and i went in there and uh walked out of that yo walked out of that meeting in love with yoga hmm that was that's uh, awesome. That was July 2016. That's awesome. It's been a little while ago now. Um, I know I have a friend that was telling me about two different um, alternatives to AA that he uses. Um, he and I were just having this conversation over the past day or two, and he sent me the links. Um, but there's something that's more Buddhist centric. Yeah, there's. Which a- I'm wondering. You might be more familiar than I yeah, am. There's a, I can't remember what it is, but I've heard of it and I, I'm aware of it and uh, a couple of different things that are uh, not quite so 12 step centered. Yeah. I just know they're different. That's about all I know um, at this point. Yeah, There's a recovery 2.0 with some guy that does a little bit of that. And he's actually got yoga involved in his thing too. And, uh, and there's something, I can't remember what the one that, and, you know, as humans, we mess up everything. And the, the dude who started, it was really had a real good movement going on and he pulled some stunts and got himself in trouble, you know, and, uh, human, I can't remember yeah. what, can't remember what that one was called. I remember the guy's first name, but there's no sense in throwing him under the bus any further. And he's already yeah. there. Uh, oh, he yeah. did that to himself. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, he did, but I don't need to propagate it. Um, but you know that'll be something that you know uh, that's something i did with religion you know you know i uh I, I couldn't see the forest because of the ugliness of some of its trees you know and that's all i needed to see was somebody uh fallen to say yeah see i'm not going there yeah right didn't serve them won't serve me yeah yeah and uh, grew up in the, whatever all them uh, TV evangelists going down over all kinds of things, and uh, and and I play my card. They so, see, I knew religion was a bunch of baloney. I, I told right. you, and uh, same thing. You know, when we have these, uh, because we have this thing called free will, and humans involved, and somebody's going to do something silly, and then we'll throw the baby out with the bathwater because of the actions of one person. Right. That's funny that uh, I say that when I talk about our uh, yoga, I mean, our uh, 12 step spiritual recovery, that it is 12 steps for anybody. You don't have to have an ism. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, it seems like it fits three, like it fits people who uh, don't fit the traditional 12 step fellowships, mm-hmm. you know, because there's a hundred different 12 step fellowships. Mm-hmm. Uh Maybe you don't fit into any of them. Uh, maybe you are a person in 12-step fellowship and you want to go look at it from a different angle, a deeper dive, a different kind of look at it, the same work. And then the people who just never could feel comfortable in AA, you know, and there's those people out yeah. there. They just, they, you know, I'm not going to AA, but I know I got a problem with something. 
Yeah. Uh, it starts off saying in the book, you know, that I think there's a lot of us staying around going life just shouldn't, my life shouldn't be like this. There's got to right. be something more to it than what I'm getting. And, I mean, uh, that can be a that, turning point if you'll jump on that. That was exactly my bottoming out. It was like, there's nothing in my life I like. Like, yeah. I hate everything. It's not what I wanted. How did this happen to me? Like, mm -hmm. it was just this, what the fuck am I doing? You know, like, there's got to be a different way because what I'm doing isn't working. Yep. But, I, you know, some people are not, you know, haven't hit the booze and the other things like that. And some people are just suffering from misery. Yeah. Just miserable. And they don't really have any kind of, okay, I, you know, I'm miserable because I drink a lot. I'm miserable because I do this or I'm miserable because I do that. Uh, I'm just miserable. What do I do? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's where I think that it comes back to, you know, stuff that happened in childhood that we never took yeah. time to acknowledge and and just process and work through. Yep. Um, but you got to have help. You, yeah, you do. Because you can't do it on your own. You can try, but you're not going to get there. Yeah, I find uh, I run into those people once in a while that are those. I'm going to do this on my own thing. And, yep. um, uh, and I have them on my podcast now and again. And I'm like, well, good luck with that. But uh, um, my thinking I mean, got me here. You know, it's that you said it earlier. Yeah. You're not going to get well in the environment that you got sick in. Yeah. Uh, if, if I'm in charge of me getting well, uh, look where I'm at today. You know, what makes me think I'm going to be able to all of a sudden do something different tomorrow? Right. And it definitely was my mindset when I first started. Right. Okay. Well, I got here. So what do I need to change? And then realizing changing is really hard. And, you know, if you don't know why you're changing, <clears throat> right, you you subconsciously are looking for love from other people, um, you're not going to be able to change, right? Because you're always going to need their approval. Yep. Um, and you don't understand it. You just look at yourself and you're like, this isn't working. Why isn't this working? You know, but to me now, even in this place, like part of loving myself is acknowledging that I get to have help from people. You know, I get to reach out to people and I get to have people support me how I need to be supported. Yeah. And I'm in a place where I can much better verbalize what I need to be supported, um, which just makes it better for me. But yeah, I think getting to this place of like, no, I'm not going to do it on my own. I don't have to do it on my own. In fact, it's more fun when I don't do it on my own. Yeah, really. No doubt. It's the uh, best thing that ever happened was me allowing myself to be helped. Yeah. Uh, that's part of that letting go, you know, and said, you know, okay, just tell me what to do. And I yeah. get a guy once in a while that comes in and luckily, you know, some guys are beat up enough that they come in and their arms are up in the air and they don't know what to do, man. And they're like, yeah, yeah. I don't know what to do. Uh, you're saying the magic words to me, man, because uh, uh, it's just kind of like I said, come on, follow me. Just walk with me yeah. for a little bit. And, and I'll promise you things are going to get better if you'll just walk with me. But even when that happens, I'm sure they still come up against certain things where they'll, they'll oh, yeah. find some resistance. And Yep. It's funny. There's a lot of funny things that happens during this that I notice is not coincidences. You know, there's when we get into this thing, we do a four step and so self-inventory. 
mm-hmm. where, where we do some writing on looking back at what what got you here. I always say it's kind of like a, when you go to a big mall or to a big wilderness area or whatever, and there'll be a big map and it says you are here. Mm-hmm. This four step is what tells you you are here. Yeah, uh, that allows you to see that. And guys will be invent any numbers of reasons and stuff not to do that. Yeah. I mean, and, and they won't be like a guy will fall down and break his wrist. You know, and now he can't write, you know, it's like, yeah, I, know, yeah. I know he didn't break his wrist, so he can't do this. No, but, but awful suspicious. There's that something is. this is going back to the car accident. It's the same. Um, have you ever read The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks? Um, nope. Yeah, he talks about an upper limit problem that we all face upper limit problems. And we get to this this point in our life and it's like. I can't go higher. And so what do I have to do? What do I get to create to keep myself down low? Yeah. And breaking, you know, falling and breaking your wrist so you can't write, that's very much an upper limit problem, right? Because by writing, you're going to progress. Yeah. You know, I see people, they will get their dream job right in the middle of the four step. And now they don't have time to work on this. Or she walks into his life right then. You know, there'll be all these different, things uh this i don't know i like somewhat i think it's like the dark force kind of thing or something i'm not a big satan type of that thing but there's something mm-hmm. that seems to trip these people up and yeah, uh, it's, it's and your, i see it happen over and over again man some they'll have a catastrophe in their life you know something will happen yeah it's your subconscious mind i think combined with the universe's energy and like it's like self-sabotage it's 100% sabotage, self-sabotage. It's like what you seek is what you find. Um, you know, then there's some science to it. The whole, like, I don't know if you've ever done the exercise of like, you go down the road and like, okay, you know, for the next minute, we're going to count the red cars and you count the red cars and then you go, but how many silver cars were there? You have no idea. Cause you weren't looking for it. Right. Yeah. You know? So when you are subconsciously seeking something, your whole entire body, your energy aligns to it. Yep. Even if you're not consciously seeking it, you're subconsciously seeking it. Yep. Yeah. Because those guys will swear that they're not doing it. Yeah. No, I, I'm on board with you. It's subconscious. You probably hook them up to a lie detector test and they would be telling the truth. They're yeah. not doing this on purpose. Yeah. But yet their subconscious has aligned to something. You know, there's something there that gets to be released in order for them to go higher. Yeah. You know, there's something somewhere and it, it might not even be them. It could be parents. It could be grandparents. Like it can be ancestral trauma that has been passed on. It could be, um, you know, they could be reenacting things from their ancestors and they don't even know it. But yet, because that pool is so strong in them time and time again, they're going to self-sabotage. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's amazing what, what might be going on. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's crazy. But I think the flip side, like when you are to this place where you actually gone through it um, and you realize you acknowledge the power that you actually have, you know, you and I can look at the world in a much different way. Um. Because, you know, 10 years ago, like 15 years ago, if you told me that I was self-sabotaging by that car accident, I mean, I full on believe that somehow, some way that energy was being drawn to me. 
you know, it was my upper limit problem of like, Megan, you don't go to work in corporate. Um, there's something in that energy that just is drawing something to you. I don't know how else to explain it, but yeah. I full on acknowledge that that's what that was in my life. One of my analogies I've used lately is trying to tell somebody what this 12-step program has done for me. Is trying, it's like trying to describe somebody what a strawberry tastes like. Yeah. I can't, I yeah. can't describe it for you. Uh, just come do it. And, yeah. Uh, I can promise you, I, you know, I can guarantee you, and I still giggle when I say this, but I can do this. I can guarantee you that if you will walk, work these 12 steps with me, your life will get better. Yeah. I can guarantee it will. There's no, this, this is not a, if statement, this is, this will happen. But it takes something deep for somebody to be like, no, I'm worthy of something better. And I'm willing and able to do this. Right. Again, we go back to the subconscious, the power of that subconscious um, and how it's created in childhood, or it's even created with, you know, your ancestral trauma that's still laying in your DNA yeah. at this point. Um, and I watch people sometimes, uh, and I wonder what's happened, but they don't get the same results. And I think that's what it is. They have blocked, yeah. they are like so dead against getting better that, that they're just refused to. And so oftentimes with my coaching, that's where I come in because I'm able to go at things from a different angle and be able to look at things from a different standpoint and make relationships clear as to, okay, this is my behavior and this is why I'm doing this, you know? And so when you discover that why it really unlocks something powerful, you know, when you realize that there's a why behind it, um, I think that's where you get to move forward. Yeah. Well, I am going to have to cut her short because they're not short. Cut it off because uh, I've got another appointment here in a little bit. But I would like you yeah, to tell I people do where too. they can get to you and uh, where you can be found and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, um, Instagram, Grateful Alive Coaching. Um, Facebook, it is, um, I primarily go through my personal page, which I believe is Megan.o.armstrong. Hold on. Yeah, and we'll get it straightened out and put it in the show notes. Yeah. Too. I'm looking for my cards back here. But I'm fortunate to have a little backlog on podcasts, so people are not going to hear this for a moment. Yeah, I'll make sure I get it to you. Okay. Um, it's not sitting right here. Um, so mostly Instagram. You got a website? Um, yeah, gratefulalivecoaching.com. And um, I would say most of my traffic comes from Facebook because it allows a place to be able to be vulnerable and intimate. Yeah. But either or Instagram or Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. Most um, of my work comes off Facebook today. Yeah. Facebook is this, you know, I had just started grad school when Facebook started and it was like where you get to stalk people in school. Um, so it's really come a long way. It's really evolved into yeah. something that's pretty cool when it comes to community. Yeah. Yeah. I've learned to cultivate it. Once again, I've cultivated yeah. what I need out of it and people, a lot of people don't get that out of it. And, uh, and I kind of know why. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think everything we just talked about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those are the main ways to get in touch with me. Um, you can email me. It's Megan at grateful Cool. Um, 
And yeah, hopefully uh, somebody was touched today. And, uh, you know, there's so many avenues or so many people out there willing to help you if you are stuck. Yeah. That's the thing. And, uh, you know, yeah, there's some magic about action, taking some action for sure to, to change the trajectory of your life. And you can have uh, things can be better. They can be. They can be. And I'm just so grateful that I get to watch this. I mean, I see this in my life. Right. But I get to watch the work that I do with clients and I watch their lives become better. Yep. And um, it never was really real to me until I started watching this stuff work in other people. Yeah. Like, you know, when it happened to me, it was like, Oh, you know, I, you know, I, I totally dug it and I, and I was riding that wave, but it never become real until I handed that to these tools to other people and watch their lives yeah. transition. Too. Yeah. Yeah. There's something powerful and it continues to heal us. Right. Because this journey is, we're going to keep going. Yeah. It's, it's part of what we do. Yeah. Um, I got two fifth steps coming up in the very near future. We, our stuff is pretty laid out. Uh, and I yeah. ask people to do it in a particular timeline. I have a particular timeline. I ask people to follow, like I said, the recipe is this. And I ask this. Uh, yeah. You know, up for and it. So next Saturday night. And I have a place out. I have a place out in the country that I take people to for their fifth steps. And we go there. It's a cabin in the woods. And uh, yeah. we go and That's we go fabulous. hang out and it's completely safe. There's no cell phone service. There's no nothing down there. Mm. And, uh, we go. Um, I got a little joke. I say, I take a guy down there and, uh, and every time, man, I wake up with a different guy than I went to bed with the night before. Oh, you know, you see a transition happen. You see, like, and I've done it. I've taken pictures of people before and after, and you can see it in the photographs. The, the weight that comes off of their very being. And it's crazy because it's like, like you were saying, you can't, you can't describe what this work is. You can't describe what, what's happening. It just happens. Yeah. Um, you had to experience it. You have to experience it. And you know, I've, I've tried to put what I do into words and I can't do it. Yeah. I've had this conversation with clients. Like they've said, Megan, I don't understand what you've done. You know, you've actually not done the work. I've done the work, but how you do it, I can't describe it. It just, I know it works, you yeah. know? Well, that's what like our, like my men's group on Tuesday nights, it gets together. If I invite a guy to come, he will feel that. And he is impacted mm -hmm. by the energy in the room. Yeah. And it becomes something that becomes real to them, even though they don't know, but it, that yeah. they're attracted to that. And that'll, that'll like get them in the boat uh, yeah. where, you know, all my talking in the world won't do it. Yeah. But they walk into that room and see these men in that room and get to feel that energy. Uh, yeah. Most times they go, yeah, I want some of that. And there's something powerful to energy. I mean, it's really become my favorite thing. Yeah, me too. You know, I love it. It's all energy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for all sure. All right. Well, I appreciate your time today. I've enjoyed knocking around. That's why I say like we knock around yeah. these concepts and uh, new ideas come up because we dialogue with one another. Yeah, I love this. I love Thanks. this. I'm very appreciative. So thank you. Things that uh, I would have never thought about on my own, you know, when we bounced the ping pong ball back and forth. Uh, it, it causes me to think about things that, that I wouldn't otherwise. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I love that. Cool. Cool. Well, I'm going to go get my yoga clothes on. Yeah, I've got to go. I'm taking an improv class, so I've got to get going to that. So, all right. I've enjoyed Thank it. You. Thank you much. I'll be in touch about when it comes out and all that. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. 
I fell out of my grooves, folks. I uh, failed to end the podcast in my usual way. So I will tack it on here. Hey, if it ain't working, stop doing it. If it is working, keep doing it. If you're not having a blast in your recovery, it's your own damn fault. And thank you all for allowing me to participate in my recovery in this unique manner. Peace out.